destroy all children is a website just for you If playing with video games is what you like to do Or riding your brain with comics and first run movies too We've got a great selection of news and reviews So search us out on the web, you just won't get enough Of all our digital madness and other fancy stuff We'll also make you laugh until your tummy's feeling buff Destroy all children you should go there now. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Destroy All Children. Knowing me, Larry Davis. Knowing you, George Brundle. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. You've been playing video games. I uh, well, kind of, a little bit. I have. I've played uh, a video game. Maybe you heard of it. I don't know. It's called no. Yakuza Like a Dragon. Mm, I have heard yeah. of that. It's a, it's a little obscure some, game. Some would say uh, a game that ruined the series. <laughs> Are you upset, Larry, that all Yakuza's now will be turn-based RPGs and not the games that you have fallen in love with and based your entire personality around? Actually, no. Because they're going to continue making judgment games, so whatever. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I hope that judgment creates a fine new tradition of having covers that look absolutely horrible. They should all yes. just like emulate very vaguely disgusting images from the internet. Like the yeah. next one should somehow invoke like Lemon Party. Oh, I was gonna say Tub Girl, but sure. Oh, that'd be even better. Just have actually, Yagami yeah. there, like on his back. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like uh, a, he'd be squirting like a CC lemon up in the air. <laughs> sure, that's how you get your MP back. Uh-huh. And like a dragon. Yeah, buy some boss coffee. Uh, well, yeah, that would be it, actually. Boss coffee. Yeah, uh, it's okay. Yeah, boss coffee. I mean, uh, the video oh. game on the other hand, not good. Not digging it. What? Really? No, I'm. I'm. It's. It's okay. Oh, okay. It's fine. It's. How far did you get in that game? Did you actually beat it, or did you kind of like eventually bounce off like you typically do with JRPGs? Uh, well, it wasn't really the, the you keep using the term "bounced off of." By the way, uh, I yeah. did eventually stop playing it, but it wasn't for any particular reason. The one thing was okay. There was a part in the story where you lose one of your party members. And so I was like, mm. okay, well, doing any of the side stuff at this point would be a waste of time. I've talked about this back when I was playing it, by the way. Uh, but to recap, because you've probably forgotten, I was like, okay, well, doing any of the side stuff would be a waste of time because I need to wait till I get that character back. So I just kind of mainline through the story segments. Turns out that guy is gone for a long time. Uh, and so I got maybe like two thirds through the game, I think, before he comes back at that oh, point. At that point, I was like, okay, well, I, after spending yeah, so long I, like just burning through this, I, I kind of just lost interest. I should get back to it, though, because I did like it. It's just, that's a weird thing. My first mistake, I think, was looking up what all the trophy requirements were. Mm. I usually do that because, so, you know, anyone who listens to this podcast will know you and I are freaks in nature. Uh, we have nothing you better to do me. other than, well, sure. Because I'm not we going both... to go for the... All the achievements in this game yeah well i'll get there but like you and i will both kind of assess the achievements in a game and we will either commit to getting them all or we just will not bother and just play through the game like a normal person uh ratchet and clank rift apart 
beat that game this week, got all the, the achievements for it, incredibly easy. Like, yeah. there's really not much that you have to do to get all the achievements in that game. Um, you do have to start a new game plus just to buy a particular weapon that doesn't unlock until new game plus, but, like, the first vendor that will sell you that weapon, you get to them in, like, 10, 15 minutes. So, like, it's not asking much. Uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, when I looked at those trophies, I thought, huh, this seems doable. Like, there's a few <laughs> that get the character level up to, like, level 70 or something. And no, then actually, it's I the like, sat down and started... Stuff. Yeah, see, I didn't know what that meant, and then I looked it up afterwards, and I was like, okay, well, fuck this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the game has moved so slowly at this point. Like, it just feels like it, XP is coming at an absolute crawl. Yes, And I don't like know that if that for gets a, better. For a while. Yeah, um, kind of once you get Psycho in your party is kind of when it opens up. Like, you can't even change jobs yet, right? No, I'm uh I'm on chapter four, mm. and I read ahead a little bit, and I think that's where you open up the ability to start changing jobs. Well, you get your second job at one point, but then it's still quite a while until you can actually just be like, okay, here are all the jobs. You can just change between them, go to the office, and change to whatever you want. And then that's really when it opens up a lot. Uh, yeah, the also when the, you get the um the business management mini game be prepared to spend a lot of time in that it's lots oh, of money good. well i like the business management stuff and also money would be very helpful because right now i don't have enough money to buy pretty much anything like i <laughs> well, can't buy new weapons i can't buy new gear like there's a story reason for that very early game mm-hmm. stuff so it shouldn't really be spoiling much but i you get shot and each one yeah, each one's not having a good time. Um, he got out of jail. Uh, everyone's being very disrespectful to him. His boss is a traitor. Uh, gets shot by him, thrown in the literal garbage, and becomes homeless in Yokohama. And so, like, there's a lot of just you doing jobs for very piddly amounts of money uh, and looking like shit and kind of making no progress whatsoever. And there's a lot of really, really slow-paced story stuff. And so I've kind of just found myself wanting to do anything other than playing Yakuza Like a Dragon. Yeah, it's um when uh oh god, what's the his opening name? of that game is just, it's so glacial. Like it's yeah, I'm it really is. having a hard time sticking with it. Yeah, it it's really slow. Like even for JRPG standards, um. Well, yeah, because I was thinking about, like, okay, well, a Persona game, like, those are the other ones that I would kind of say tend to have very long introductory sequences where, like, you're not actually getting into doing any of the real RPG shit until maybe two hours deep into the story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, this long... I I told you, I think, when I was playing it, I was, like, eight hours in, and, like, I'm still... It's still very slow going. Um, Yeah, when Psycho joins is basically the main thing. What? Here's how fucked it is. I played six hours of Like a Dragon yesterday. I, I finally got to the point where Ichiban, he gets his, uh, he pulls his sword from the ground, yeah. his baseball bat with nails in it, so that's cool. Uh-huh. Uh, and he he's now hallucinating that enemies are becoming more, like, fantasy-based. Yep. And so, like, the game is finally starting to push into that weird Yakuza territory that I like a whole lot. And I, I get the feeling it's going to open up more in ways that captivate me. But like, I just I needed to do something else after six hours, so I decided to check out SMT One. 
And now I'm three hours into Shin Megami Tensei 1. <laughs> Yakuza was so boring to me that I decided to start playing the original Shin Megami Tensei, and that entertained me more. Great. Yeah. I'm proud of you. So, I mean, we'll, we'll get there. I, I would like to talk a little bit about that game, but I... Did do like the the Suchimon stuff? Yeah, I just started Suchimon. that. Yeah, that is for anyone who doesn't know. Basically, the like uh, monster encyclopedia in this game is framed in a sort of like uh, a manner that mocks Pokemon, parodies it <laughs> a little bit. Uh, it's it's great. <laughs> You're told that you need to uh, what was it? Defeat them all. I think so. There, oh, he there's the bit in. where the uh, professor brings you in and he just has three thugs in like green, red, and blue suits and you just beat up all of them. Yes. Uh, he says, don't forget the world's counting on you, so you gotta dispatch them all, then you'll be the next Sujimon master. Yeah. Uh, and also, this doctor's face is like horribly disfigured. <laughs> yeah. He has like a, this... a weird lab in the middle of like yeah. a, a mall or something. Yeah, it just looks like a small office space that he bought up, and there's like a bunch of just uh, pictures of real, like real life people that are plastered on the wall behind him. There's just like a fat dude in overalls on his whiteboard that I kept noticing. Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, but he just wants to like catalog some freaks, man. Mm. Uh, this this all starts because you fight a pervert in the middle yes. of the street, and he happens to see this and and thinks it is just fascinating. Oh, you know, actually, I'll take back what I said. The place the story picks up is not actually when Psycho joins. It's uh before that, like the storyline leading to that, when they sort of investigate the Soapland. That's when it okay. is like, okay, this is some pretty good stuff happening here. Because you get like, I always forget his name, the cop guy. Uh, he joined. Uh, Adachi. Uh, okay, see, I was going to say Adachi and then thought, wait, no, I'm just thinking of Persona 4. But I think that every time. <laughs> That see, that's how I remembered it. Yeah, was I was like, oh, a cop named Adachi in yes. an RPG. Where have I heard that before? Yeah, because I was gonna say Adachi earlier and just thought, what? No, that can't be right. Yes. Uh, so when he comes back, you get him and Ichiban and the Hobo guy, Nobu. Yeah. Is that uh, Nabon? I think Nanba. That's it. Nanba. Thank um, you. Yeah. It's been a while. This has been uh, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. Larry and George tried to figure out Japanese names. I mean, you just played it. You should know. Yeah, I know. It's been a few I months should. for me. Um, but then I started playing Shin Megami Tensei 1, and now all I can think about is Jack Frost. Hee-ho. Uh, yeah. So you get... He doesn't uh, say hee-ho in the first game. What the fuck? It's messed up. He doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't say it at all. Hmm. Well, I, I don't like that. I don't know why you're playing this. <laughs> so, you get uh, Ichiban, Adachi, and Nanba all uh, investigating this like shady retirement home, and like being like trying to be sneaky about it and infiltrate this place. It's really good. And from, like from there on, good. from there on, it gets good. It gets into like the actual okay. main plot of it. Uh, yeah, it's just like. The story stuff that they kind of lay on you at the beginning of that game is is very slow paced. Uh, I like the intro though. Of... Before he goes to jail, that stuff's good. Yeah, I I, I like the stuff with his boss. Uh, it's, 
they make him very sympathetic right away. Uh, I like the stuff about his past, what happened with his family before he became a Yakuza and the stuff before he became a boss. Uh, I like the stuff with Ichiban's past. That's basically been it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, Namba's backstory, like, it takes forever to get to it, and it's just, ah, I was selling drugs. Mm. There was more stuff with Namba later. I'm sure that there will be, but uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know. But, it's... but also the thing with their backstories is um, a lot of that is related to the uh, the bond levels that you have with them. Mm. Uh, and so as those go up, then you'll get extra scenes with them at the bar that becomes kind of your hideout. Uh, because it's a Yakuza game, you gotta have a bar that you hang out at to play. Yeah. Like, uh, whoever you want on the jukebox and uh, do karaoke in the corner, which nobody enjoys. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I will stick with it. I've stuck through worse. And I know it will get good eventually. I've seen a lot of clips, a lot of videos of Like a Dragon, and it's been... There's so much weird shit in that game that mm-hmm. I was sold on it very easily. I've just gotten to absolutely none of it yet. Like, just now I feel like I'm scratching the surface of that stuff. That sort of bizarre Yakuza-y shit that I like, that I want at. I want it really bad, and that's been compelling me to keep going at it. But, yeah, man, that, like, first six hours of the game, those first three chapters are rough. Also something weird, it's um, when you get that hero class, it sort of implies that the enemy transformations are because of the hero class, but it's not. Mm. Like, they do that from that point on, like, no matter who oh, you are. Oh, good. So I can switch off of it and, yeah. and still get all that. Okay. In fact, I, yeah, I was... there's, as far as I can tell, very little reason to use the hero class when you've unlocked others. They should have just had it, like... Th- so much of this game is, like fairly grounded up until that point yeah they should have just had it so instead of getting shot through the chest he got shot in the head and it's like a big boss kind of thing mm-hmm. where like something's pressing down on part of his brain <laughs> yeah it would have made more sense instead of it just being he has an overactive imagination and he's being followed around by two dopes who are complete enablers well but like that that's still good too i like that I'm getting more invested in those characters now that they've kind of they they come across so bland for a lot of the first part of that game and now they're just like, yeah, Ichimon, be a hero, whatever. Oh, you're seeing weird shit? Sounds cool. Like, mm-hmm. I like that they're just completely enabling his psychosis at this point. Yeah. Like, Psycho is like kind of the best character in the game and uh, she also basically has a case of that where she just kind of shows up and is like, huh, Heard you guys are doing some stuff. Well, I guess I'll join you. Because you need four people in a party. Yeah. Oh, the other I... thing the other thing I would say is um the reason to do the business management thing is because you get another party member from that, yeah. which will be useful when one character leaves for an extended amount of time. Yeah, I I looked at the uh before I play a wiki page for this game and they had mentioned like yeah you should try to go for the fifth party member it's a lot through management stuff because she gets I, uh, I, she also gets really good um area of effect spell where she like throws thumbtacks and stuff which is you don't get that many aoe attacks <laughs> in the game she's mick foley yeah basically <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you power bomb her into the her. thumbtacks. Yeah, wheeling her away on the stretcher, and she's just like, did I throw the thumbtacks out? <laughs> Psycho, look at your arm. Oh, uh, <laughs> man. Um, Adachi jumping off Hell in a Cell. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I... It, I it just, is uh, just weird because there are a lot of encounters where there will just be a bunch of enemies and normally you kind of have to beat them down one by one but once I got her it's just like throw out thumbtacks once done they're all dead yeah I also kept running into levels that were like or enemies that were like twice my level very yeah. early on in the game yeah, and that sucked yeah don't wander it, off well so I didn't think I was wandering off that far. I didn't realize until after I game over it and checked the map like just how far off the the trail I I went. Yeah, uh, cuz I thought they would actually kind of like gate stuff off like that more than they do, but they kind of let you go anywhere and get into some real trouble as a result. But yeah, when you're it's in basically a, like further north you go the higher yeah, level they are. Uh, but you can't escape battles from them easily. Their higher level makes the escape rate much, much, much lower. So yep. I just kept accidentally running into them, trying to like get out of that territory and game over probably three times in a row. So I went from having actual spending money for once in this fucking video game to having like 190 yen. So, I mean, that sucked. You don't really use the money for much anyway, so... Kind of doesn't I matter. was trying to buy all the vending machine items because I thought that would be an easy trophy. So there's still part of me that's like, yeah, I should go for whatever I can get. Mm. But I, I think I should not. I think I should just kind of like get through the game and just go at it at my own pace and not yeah. try to be very completionist about it. So like the main thing is the Millennium Tower, which from what I understand is essentially like that optional dungeon in Nocturne. Like that sort of equivalent thing. Mm. Um, where it's kind of just here's this like the challenge dungeon basically, and I guess the ultimate boss is Kazuma Kiryu, which makes sense. Um, Ooh, okay. And I bet he's extremely hard. I got a bunch of like DLC outfits, and I have no idea how to change into them. But I have um, one that's just uh, Cosmos. That's when you change jobs. You can choose what mm. costume. Okay. Um, well I'll get there eventually But yeah also that was why I recommended Like getting that one DLC pack That's like the Not the super deluxe version But sort of the one step up one Because that gets you the kiss job uh, Just turns Ichiban and Adachi into Gene Simmons um, Yeah it's like $10 DLC right Yeah but, but it's that and It gets you extra characters For the business management mode Mm. Um, which I, I feel like if you don't have those, it would take way longer. I my favorite part of this game so far is finding a like weapons shop, just kind of wandering around and going like, oh, I haven't seen one of these yet. L let me poke my head and just kind of see what's inside, uh, see what prices look like. I was in an adult yep. store and they're just selling vibrators as weapons. Uh -huh. <laughs> and this is how I found out that there's like a hostess job class and yep. an idle job class. So this Night is definitely Queen. a Yakuza game. Yeah. <laughs> there's Yakuza stuff in this Yakuza game. It's just, it's taken a bit to get to it. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I the, shall persevere. The main thing also I would say is with jobs, not everything you unlock 
actually transfers between like if you switch jobs um it's mm. just there's a marker on them i don't remember what the actual yeah, marker there, is there's but... there's character traits and then there's job traits and the character traits are the ones that will carry on with you and then the job traits those will go away if you change jobs mm, i don't think that's even it that's the way they tutorialized me on it just yesterday when oh, i played I, this okay. game okay <laughs> all right so here yes but the the way I understood that was that the stat increases would still carry over. Like, oh. that was what I thought meant by character traits, not necessarily, like, these skills, but that the the stat increases do not. So, hmm. um, it's just the ones that are actually marked. Okay. Which is why I uh, said switch to host job as soon as you can to get that ice attack, because you're going to want that for whatever your main... Job will be I don't know The before I play things that go Swordsman's for Foreman Oh yeah actually yes Foreman first But I think you unlock okay. that like immediately Like you just switch to it and you immediately Get the ability to break down doors And then you can just switch to something oh, else Okay Well yeah like I said I've uh, I've been playing that Been playing again Shin Megami Tensei the first uh-huh. So Here is my thought process Larry. I like the way those older SMT games look a whole lot, and I'm very excited for 5, and even though I just finished Nocturne, I still kind of want to play an SMT game. And I tried too, and so way back I talked about it a bit on this podcast, how it's a very disorienting game, I could never figure out where the fuck I was, or what I was supposed to do, or who I even am. And so, like, maybe two hours into the game, I said, screw this, and I removed it from my dumbass list, and I went on with my life, and I played something else. And I still have no desire to come back to two, but I thought, ah, I wonder what the first SMT looks like. I'll just check this out for 30 minutes and just kind of see what the intro is. And it kind of sucked me in, and I like the first Shin Mikami Tensei game. It's better than two, somehow. How are you navigating it? Like, isn't that the main issue? They actually, like, the the dungeons so far have been much smaller in scope and size. And so, like, the issue with 2 is you're dumped into these very large areas and everything looks the same, so it's really easy to get kind of turned around and lost. So far in 1, there's only been one area that's like that. Uh, But it's just kind of a shopping center. It's not an actual dungeon. And so as long as you can kind of just remember where the exit is at, which isn't too hard to do there then you can just sort of bounce out of there and then get back in and kind of reorient yourself. Um, I found a good guide for it too that lays the maps out fairly comprehensively. So that's also helping me out. My one complaint with that walkthrough is for some reason the idiot who made those maps decided to rotate, uh, rotate them all like counterclockwise by one notch. So like... In Shinjuku, I got really turned around for a little bit before I realized that the map that I was reading on the FAQ was just, it had north in a different direction than what north actually is. Yeah, you know, so that was goes neat. to the left. Apparently, <laughs> if you're the maniac who made that guide, uh, I think he just did it with Shinjuku. The rest of the maps have been oriented correctly. I don't know what's up with that, but... You, you can't call him oriented. Uh, <laughs> oh, right, not, I'm sorry. I didn't... Not... Cor- correct these days Yeah you th- you think I know that all these JRPGs that I'm playing yeah. They're not ORPGs Because that would be offensive 
That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been easier to get my bearings in SMT1. Uh, and, like, the, the combat stuff has never really been an issue for me with, like, 2. Like, it's still just SMT combat. Well, yeah. Obviously, you don't have the press turn system in it, so exploiting weaknesses is more about doing damage, uh, just raw numbers, than it is about, you know, gaining a more strategic advantage. Uh, buffs and debuffs still matter in that game, though. So, definitely use those. But... Like, demon negotiation stuff seems more straightforward in it, obviously, because it's, you know, the hardware is more rudimentary. They can't give you quite as many options. But it still mostly boils down to the same, like, hey, give me money thing that mm -hmm. most negotiations eventually just turn into. Yeah. Uh, but give I do lifestones. like... Yeah. I do like negotiating with Jack Frost. He started laughing at me. So I laughed back, and he told me that I was a scary bastard. So I kept laughing, uh, which unnerved him more. So he decided to... He then asked me, like, Hey, if I join your team, will you fuse me with a pretty lady? And so I said no, and he's like, Yeah, man, I can't get dates either. I guess I'll join you. <laughs> <laughs> so there's still a lot of, like, good dumb SMT stuff in it. I, I'm glad that stuff was there at, like, the ground level. Uh, but I'm having a good time with it. Uh, it's okay. much shorter than Like a Dragon, so I think I'm just going to stick with it and finish it. It's a, a scant 30 hours, which for SMT is so short, you might not even just, why even Ooh, have a game at that you point? You blink and it's over. Yeah. As more of that, like, in three hours, I realized I got through one-sixth of the guide and was like, I should just stick with this. It doesn't seem as long as some other stuff I've played. Sure. Yeah. It is weird how uh, the mid-tier spells are available in the game, like, immediately. I had random enemies doing, like, Bufala to me. Huh. Yeah. That's weird. There, there is one... So, I'll sum up my story experience with this game so far. Uh, got arrested for doing a murder. The jail is also the hospital, and they're experimenting on prisoners. So, uh-oh, that's not good. Uh, but I escape, and I go home. Demon ate my mom, though. So shit. Uh, so I decided to take my dog with me, but immediately I'm like, wait a minute, in the Cathedral of Shadows, I confuse my dog with a pixie? What the fuck? So I got a level 43 Cerberus when, like, the character level currently is, like, 8. Uh, and then, like, I completely steamrolled the next dungeon with this level 43 dog. So it lets then... you fuse demons higher level than you are? No, this is, like, the one exception. Because, like, then after this, I tried to fuse one that was, like, level 15. It was like, you can't do that. But, like, I guess okay. your dog, your actual just, your your pet dog named Pasquale, which is a great name for a dog, you can okay. fuse him with demons. And so it turns it into a Cerberus. And then, like, the way that the game is just, like, you should not have a level 43 demon at this point is immediately after the following boss fight, the dog uh, tries to, like, bite one of the terminals and it gets vaporized. Oh, Okay. <laughs> so it's just like that solves that problem that's pretty good uh yeah but now i'm in shinjuku the, the american it's army like, has invaded well it, it's basically like uh a metroid game like compacted yeah. like you get this powerful thing and then it takes it away instead of waiting until the beginning of the next game to take it away why did death take my dog away i don't but know yeah it's death comes for us all yeah 
Anyway, rest in peace to my level 43 servers. I got I got a feeling it probably just got like digitized in the terminal and it's somewhere else, and I bet I get it back later. It's a Digimon now. Ooh. A, Are uh, you telling me that the, the devil mind. summoners are just the digi destined? Yes. Basically. Okay. I mean they got those like wrist computers and whatnot. So Yeah, that's pretty true. Much. And they all they all come from damaged homes and like it doesn't get more damaged than your mom getting eaten by a demon. Yeah. And then the demon pretends to be your mom. It's kind of messed up. That happens in Yokai Watch too, I think. Well, you know, demons are eating moms all the time. Yeah. Something going on it's in very, Japan. It's a very common problem over there in Japan. It's, it's in the zeitgeist. Yeah, that's that's all I've been playing. I've I've still been in my JRPG mood, so uh I'm I'm going at two of them at once, like a true freak of nature. Well, you may be in JRPG mood. I am in boomer shooter mood. Uh, so I have been playing, first of all, Proteus. Somebody with a very yeah. loud truck just like drove by. Uh, Proteus, which is on Game Pass uh, for Hell PC, yeah. not Xbox. I don't think there is an Xbox version of it. And it's very good. It is a Doom type shooter. Uh, specifically, all of the enemies and guns in it are sprites And even like barrels and stuff in it And it just looks real good uh, yeah. Everything explodes blood everywhere when you shoot it uh, It's fast And I've been finding it very fun Notably, uh, you go between levels on a Mario 3 style world map Which is also That's neat cute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, technically, I think the game is not done yet. I believe it's in some form of early access, but like whatever. What's here is an good. Early access game reached... on Game Pass. Come on. Yeah. Well, they call it Come game on. preview. Oh. Uh, oh. But... Ooh. Well. But like, it feels like finished. It. I think it's just like a matter of like what levels are in it, basically. Um, yeah. And I have not reached the end of it yet, obviously. Uh, but I'm going to play more of that, having a good time with it. The weapons feel good. Uh, it is a bit more like the newer Dooms where they have alternate fires, like the shotgun has a alternate where you charge it up, and it it's like more a uh, more accurate shot that also catches the enemy on fire. Um, your assault rifle is actually two assault rifles you dual wield, and you can left-click, right-click to fire them independently, or like both to really dump. Which is less accurate, but you shoot a lot of bullets at once. Um, but yeah, Proteus. I I say good. It's my review so far. Um, but then, have you heard of this game called Cruelty Squad? Um, uh, I mean, like I've heard it mentioned, but uh, I don't think I'm like I'm not too uh, familiar. With it, okay. uh, you know, I never played it. Yeah, uh, I'm just messing with you, Larry. There is a video on our YouTube channel where I played <laughs> Cruelty Squad. That game is f- fucked up. It's great, and it made me feel very sick. It's and great, yet I still kind of want to keep playing it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's pretty good. So Cruelty Squad is, if you're just describing the way it plays, is essentially Deus Ex plus Hitman. With a little bit of souls in it Um, Mm. Specifically in regards to the way the difficulty is handled And 
some elements of the level design around that. Uh, it also features a, a dynamic stock market, uh, fishing, fishing mini game, um, drivable okay. vehicles. So this is also Yakuza. No, you can't drive vehicles in Yakuza except well, for no, like no, a couple no, of no, segments. I mean, more like weird stock market financial stuff. Plus kind of fishing. Yeah. So you are a depressed hitman who is hired to assassinate certain targets, uh, and you're All dropped right, very into relatable so far. Right. You're you're dropped into levels, and you go find your targets, kill them, and then leave. And this sounds like fairly normal for a video game, except it all looks like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Everything is like eye bleeding colors. Um, characters like their vertices warp like at high frequencies when you look at them. It's um, like when uh, in in older sixteen bit eight bit games, if the color palette got kind of fucked up, yes. and then a bunch of colors go completely askew, and so you get a lot of really like discordant combinations of browns and yellows and greens and reds where they should not be at all. Or the whole game looks like it's built around that. Yeah, it's like every texture got corrupted or something. Yeah, um, the exits just have giant text that says exit. Like floating over it. Um, the the characters speak in Banjo Kazooie style, which is nice. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a meat. Like car. I said there, there was one specific bit where I'm positive <laughs> they just they straight up took the sound from Banjo Kazooie. Yeah. If you click on the um the inventory when you don't have yeah, anything selected, it's it just like and it really it's... does sound straight out of Banjo Kazooie. It's so good. I could just um, sit there and endlessly listen to that sound. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's so a this horrible, game, fucked up looking game. This game has no respect for one, the player, uh, or two, the norms of the genre, where R obviously you can rebind the uh, the controls, but by default R is use, um, shift is zoom. To reload, you hold the right mouse button and then pull the mouse back, which actually I think is cool and it, like that's a really interesting idea for reload mechanic. Um, yeah. But if when you're new to it and trying to reload in the middle of a fight, you might forget, which is also good. You yeah. you have a kick. You have a Duke Nukem style kick that just like flings your leg out in front of you. Yeah, um, I had I had mentioned it on that video. That kick, it does not feel like that leg is actually attached to your hips. It's like just not. coming out of your torso or something. Yeah, it's like Duke Nukem. Yeah, uh, it's a really good video game kick. Yeah. Uh, so you go into these levels, you find your targets. Um, they are really wide open levels. This is where the Hitman thing sort of comes in. Like you'll have multiple entrances for every level the first one is this you're told that's a pharmaceutical company doesn't look like anything approaching anything in the real world but that's what they say has stained glass windows for some reason um yeah it has dogs with like they're basically like those enemies from half-life the little things with the giant mouths on them yeah um and you can like go in through the vent, go in there, kill your targets. There's like one weird hallway that just 
you never got to this you never found this hallway but it's like um the walls and floor and everything look like like hr geiger style textures and it just sort of funnels mm. into this little room and the the floors are at weird angles so you can't even walk up it you have to like bunny hop your way up uh and then it kind of just goes to a dead end that as far as i can tell does not do anything or maybe it does and i just don't know what it is yeah, who knows maybe you need to die the appropriate amount or not mm-hmm. die the appropriate amount yeah, larry it's all about world tendency you see yeah so that that's the other thing that i was not aware of actually when i played it it was when you played it and died five times on one level that uh-huh. i discovered that the difficulty is tied to how many times you die and it, it's this is basically the souls thing where you start at the default difficulty you die once and then it drops you down one level um which i was not aware of when i, I had died once when i played it but the first time you die when you die first of all you don't die immediately unless you're like george and run into the front door and get shot by everybody (laughs) 800 times (laughs) then you die immediately um but if you are damaged enough that your health goes below zero you enter a negative state and that takes a little bit before you actually die and so the confusing nature of that plus like what a mess the death screen is like i did not know there was anything really special about it but it tells you like yeah. your divine light has been severed um and it has like this weird picture of a guy like with his head exploding kind of um it looks like yeah. something out of disco elysium uh and so that indicates that you drop down difficulty level and then if you die like four more times i think maybe it's five after that first one i'm not sure then uh, you get another message uh where then it drops you to easy mode and uh, george attained that difficulty during the oh, sure. stream very very quickly <laughs> yeah it did, it did not take me a lot to unlock that difficulty it was also good because you were just like mashing buttons to try to get through the death screens so i was like wait a second what that said something different and then you reloaded into the level and everything looked different also yeah and so then we were like oh that's interesting yeah like the, the color palette had changed it got it there was a different border uh, yeah. and so like i, I part of the thing with that too is it unlocks different areas so i would think that if you want to be fairly completionist about it you do want to bump it down to the lower difficulty to access different locations in the game that the default and the harder difficulty do not give you access to and then likewise you need to do well to get access to other areas that are only available on harder difficulties right Um, so after i saw this i sort of restarted the game and uh did the first level while staying at the default difficulty because then you can get in a door uh, which has some extra money and a rocket launcher in it and the rocket launcher helps a lot uh i can imagine especially for when going to the second level which is a whole neighborhood um is essentially like that neighborhood level from hitman except it has like these bizarre like tower houses with spikes on the outside look like they're from the mario movie that are lined with boxes of funko pops (laughs) yes attics that attics that it was chunko pops chunko chunko yes uh there's also attics that just have gigantic bizarre looking engines inside (laughs) of them there are hallways with a staircase in the middle that you can barely get to the doors (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, and then the rooms are all empty. There's just nothing in them. Yeah. It's just blank. Four walls and a roof. That's it. You've got the pizza uh, house. Oh, I love the pizza house. Everyone I like how on that stream you kept putting me up to like, oh, you need to go back into the kitchen of the pizza house. You need to see what's back there. Nothing. Yeah. There's nothing at the back of the pizza house. Yeah. Um, Larry, the the visual, the, the, the bright color coloration of the game uh, reminds me of uh, Helix. Yes. Is okay. it Helix or Hylix? I think... I'm not sure. I've heard know. it pronounced differently than those two as well. So I'm I'm how, I'm how sure I'm fucking it. It has to be one of those two. It has to be Hylix or Helix. I it don't know. I've been watching a lot of I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos by Canadians lately, and the thing that I've learned about oh, Canadians no. is they just say a lot of shit wrong. They say Z instead of Z. Yeah. Well, you know. It's... That's why the French and the English not intermingle, Larry. I agree. George. <laughs> um. Um, yes, it's got the pizza house. Uh, and I don't want to uh, spoil further levels, but it gets pretty wild. So. Yeah. I, I have been toying with the idea of just doing a full playthrough of that on stream, uh, mm. similar to how we've done GoldenEye. That but at the same time... Yeah, I kind of don't know, because the, the other interesting thing that came up with this game, uh, here's some lore for the podcast. Larry's vision fucking sucks. Dumbass baby <laughs> vision, garbage eyes, can't see, can't see good. Uh, whereas me, whereas me, perfect vision. I recently went in to have my vision checked within this last year, and I was told my vision is not only perfect, I was complimented by a medical professional on how good my vision is. I also like had a complete. Trump. I've got the I best also vision. Had... Everybody loves it. They're always telling me how good my vision is. It's about to get extremely Trump-esque because I also had a full neurological examination within the last year, and I came out on the other end of that beautifully. There is remarkably nothing wrong with my brain, I which I know comes that. as a shock to literally everybody who listens to this podcast. There's no way Yet, that's true. You need to get a second opinion. <laughs> there's only one neurologist in town, so this is it, buddy. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. You got a <laughs> hack on the premises. <laughs> They had me walk up and down the hall to see like what my balance was like and everything. Doing my little turn on the catwalk. Graceful. It was perfect. It was beautiful. I have a great big gigantic perfect fully functional brain. And yet when I start up Cruelty Squad, I can't tell a pizza on the ground from the rest of the floor texture. <laughs> it just completely blends in. Like Like I was yelling at you, pick up that kidney. And it's like, it's a bright pink kidney in the middle of a red pool of blood. And you were just like, I don't yeah, see just look it. look at the ground and I'm like, what goddamn kidney? I, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, this game does some weird shit to my brain and my eyeballs where I cannot distinguish things. Uh, and yet you are picking it out like George Costanza without his glasses spotting <laughs> dimes. I'm over here taking bites out of onions. I mean, it, it's like uh, you couldn't tell the difference between civilians and the guards, even though the guards have no. guns and would like run at you and like look at you and stuff. Well, the civilians just run endlessly like back at, and forth. At the distance. And by added distance, I mean even a moderate distance way I'm not able to well, tell them apart. Well, that's because you wouldn't use the zoom function either because you said it made you feel sick. 
the zoom function like immediately hurts my <laughs> eyes like the, the hard cut to it being black and white and yes. low frame rate like it, it immediately hurts my eyes and it, it like has this weird like red line sort of going clockwise around for no apparent reason yeah when I was at the uh, eye doctor, they had all these different high tech stations that you stick your eyeballs into and they your mouth shine. Down? No, I'm opening a bottle of water, <laughs> uh, and apparently it popped open like a bottle of Pepsi or something. Cool. Um, no, it, it like they you stick your eyes into these machines. They shine all these lasers and lights and stuff, and they're just like, look at this man. Like we. Like blew up this image and you can see all the veins in your fucking eye. You ever wonder what the back of your eye looks like? Bam! Right there. They should just have you fucking play Cruelty Squad. It would be much cheaper to tell that you have some sort of eyesight issue. Because like the, the bit where you zoom and it's black and white and there's a big red line reminds me of sticking my eyes into one of those machines. <laughs> That's cool. like... It, it, it's the best praise that you can give a game. You look at it and you hear the doctor say, okay, I want you to focus on the red line. There's going to be a flash of light. Like, that's exactly what it is. Uh, so anyway, like, I would like to stream it and play more of that game, but, like, I already know that I'm I'm not going to be good at it because it just does some weird things to my ability to perceive. Uh-huh. Anyway, it's really neat. Cruelty yeah. Squad is really neat. It is. It's a like I guess the best way I could describe it visually would be that's like Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff, like a game of that kind of. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a. It's like a an amalgamation of a lot of other hideous things yeah, that yeah. I've seen. Um, the dialogue like in it's lot. been really good too. What the the, the dialogue in it oh. is pretty good too. Yeah, the mission briefings that you refuse to read. Yeah. I read them. There's uh, my favorite line of dialogue is, of course, when you just talk to a, a random NPC and they're like, "Oh, you're an open carry guy, huh?" I respect that. <laughs> it, it's also interesting because with the rest of the aesthetic of this game, you would think it would be one of those where like everybody talks in low, like lowercase, and there are typos and everything, but it doesn't do that. Yeah. Like people just people kind of talk like Dark Souls characters in a way. Um, yeah. Where. They kind of just acknowledge how this is kind of weird, but they're just living in it. Um, yeah. So you I go mean, to like Cruelty Squad headquarters, it's like your training area. Um, and you can go into a room where there are a bunch of guys along with a mysterious giant cube. And you talk to them, and they're just like, oh, yeah, man, heard you lost your job. Sorry to hear that. Hope, hope you get feeling better. <laughs> uh, and then you can just explode them into a pile of guts if you want. Nobody yeah, you cares. Get yeah. yeah. Well, you don't Th- eat that's... them. That's so the parts you get, you uh, sell on the market. Uh, okay. That, that's the other. I thing. know on the when you open the stock market, there are two other tabs. One of them is for body parts, and one is for fish. And so when you get the fishing rod and can get fish, you can sell them on the market. And there are a lot of fish. A lot. I've been but eating they're... a lot more fish lately. Maybe it's all the mercury. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Maybe I'm turning my brain into Swiss cheese. And I'm Good. playing Cruelty Squad. Buy me a Mercury. Drive it up and down the road. No. 
Yeah, I I mean, going back to the Souls thing, that is, uh, you know, we already described the shifting difficulty levels, but, like, that is still, the fact that to get one of them, you have to basically play the game poorly is still very much a Dark Souls thing, <laughs> yeah. or, I'm sorry, Demon Souls, because, like, world tendency, you can affect that by doing very specific things about, like, how you interact with people, or, you know, did you beat the level and you didn't die, like, that'll shift it in one direction, but, like, if you really want to just fuck it up, just keep throwing yourself off of a cliff mm -hmm. there's always one in every level like if you just do that enough you'll completely shift it into dark tendency so like there's still that element of just like yeah well if you play it bad then you'll completely change like the world that you're inhabiting uh, i like that stuff yeah i like cruelty squad i want to play more of it yeah you should and everyone else should play it and if they don't, I don't like them, and I won't be friends with them. <laughs> it is available now uh, during the Steam sale for a whole a ten percent off. Oh wow! PC gaming is so great. Think of all the savings. You're gonna fucking need them after you bought a video card, you chump. Yeah, enjoy that whole two dollars off. Oh god. Hear about how like uh, more counterfeit parts? Oh, geez, I'm just dropping things. Uh, counterfeit parts are ending up on motherboards. No, I did not. Mm, well, it's never been a better time to build a PC, Larry. Yeah, sounds like it. What's the counterfeit yeah. parts? Like I, my vague understanding, I didn't read too deeply into it, but just like bootleg capacitors and stuff ending up on motherboards. Oh, good. Yeah. Actually, it might not have been capacitors. It might have been, like, certain, like, chips and stuff. Because I, I know a lot of it is kind of a byproduct of the whole, like, wafer shortage thing. It is PC parts in general are still completely fucked. The two most fucked up things, if you just want to get into terrible money sinks right now, are used games and PC parts. They are equally as nightmarish at this point. Uh, like, well, I see no difference in you showing me an unopened copy of Skyward Sword or whatever for, like, 150 bucks and wanting to go buy a used video card. Like, they, they're just, the prices are completely bonkers. Yeah, but it's a seller's market, and I have the games. I don't have video cards. Well, you sell enough games you can get a video card. Yeah, no thanks. You'll just have to sell all of them with the way video cards cost. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You know who's got a lot of money, though? Uh, Jeff Bezos. Well, yes, but also, no, I was talking about Tony Soprano. Does he? Well, if he doesn't gamble it all away, sure. <laughs> yeah, because he's about <laughs> as good as you are. Yeah, Tony Soprano betting that Betty White will die before Abe Vigoda. Mm-hmm. And having to pay out a large sum of money to Polly. Uh, you finished the show, right? You're done. Can we talk yes. about it? Can we do a, a gobble goals? Yes. Well, Season six of The Sopranos. This is it. We're done with The Sopranos. Yeah, finally. Uh, this season opens up on Uncle Junior shooting Tony, and we get a string of coma episodes that are very Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. The return in nature, uh, because in Tony's weird coma dreams he has assumed the life of a more ordinary man what was his name 
don't remember because okay. at this point it's been 50 years since I watched this show. Well, that's your fault for you to catch up. Again, that's um, your fault. But you get a lot of like uh, his actual like speaking voice instead of this weird Italian accent that he puts on. Yeah. And so it's kind of disorienting at first, but I ended up getting like really invested into this like fictional life that Tony ends up leading inside of the coma and his, his bizarre like case of mistaken identity and the fact that he has dementia apparently and monks are trying to sue him. Yeah. <laughs> That's some very good like dream logic though. Sure. I mean, <sighs> monks suing him or like, yeah. Okay. No, no, like the whole the dementia the monk thing. Okay. The dementia thing, I guess, kind of is too, but yeah. specifically I mean, the monks like d- having problems with their air conditioner or whatever it was. Sure. Is like the kind of nonsense that would come up. Yeah, I still do like them kind of tying the dementia thing back to Uncle Junior, though, uh, but also trying to explain, like, why Tony is having difficulty in the coma dream of distinguishing his identity. Uh, and then you get some really good CGI of Tony's horrible, like, gut wound, because they have to do it as, like, <laughs> yes. an open... Looks like Major Briggs, headless. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, Polygon, and they're like, you gotta maintain a positive attitude, and he sees the gut wound, and he's like, oh, fuck! <laughs> That's horrible. My friend's fucking dying. Yeah. Oh man, Polly. He's got so much good stuff in the end. He like, does. Not, not to skip ahead, but his whole feud with Christopher is so good. It really is. Uh I mean, speaking of Polly and the coma thing, the the way that Tony comes out of the coma is that Polly gets some private time to talk to him, and Polly is such a stressful individual that he ends up like sending Tony into Tachycardia. And that is part of what helps him come out of the coma. Yeah. And so I just I like the stuff of Polly just talking about his mom, and then it cuts to Tony in his dream, and there's just noise coming from the other side of the wall, and Tony pounding on it, going, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> there's also a bit I I think it was Polly who just starts quoting "Blood, Sweat, and Tears" at one point. Is yeah, but then there's also says, like he just starts reciting the lyrics from "Spinning Wheel." I think so. And then like Blood, Sweat and Tears comes up a little bit later too because uh there is is stuff about um why am I blanking on his name suddenly? Vito. Big gay guy. Vito, yeah. Uh Vito gets outed finally uh in the season and so everyone's looking for Vito because they have to take care of the Vito problem. And so like initially Silvio tries to lure him back with Blood, Sweat and Tears tickets. Yes. Which I think is very good Uh, Nothing will get this gay guy To come back faster He got outed at the end of the last season Right? Uh, No it was the start of this one Because in the hospital there's uh, bits About them talking about um, So like part of the opening of the season Is there's a guy who basically wants to retire from the mafia Which is of course something that is impossible And uh, he is also An informant and when he realizes the informant stuff is a dead end and that the mafia stuff is a dead end, he hangs himself. And so Vito is kind of going like, ah, maybe he was one of those queers. He didn't have anyone to talk to. <laughs> Happens all, all right. the time, probably. Um, oh, yeah, I'm just thinking of, I guess, when uh, Flynn saw him. That was yeah. the last season. And so that uh, you do get payoff with that because when they're starting their hunt for Vito, they need to confirm that he's gay. 
And so they bring Flynn and he's like, oh yeah, Vito's out there just sucking cocks constantly, guys. Uh, scary stuff. Well, yeah, I also like that he didn't want to say anything about it, uh, but like I think he mentioned it to Meadow or something, and so they bring him into Cetriol's at the back room, yeah. and he just has to sit there with all those guys and tell them. Yeah, and like that's, I I think that is kind of a a good character moment too for Meadow because through a lot of the series, Meadow tries to frame herself as being different than her family. She wants to go into a more noble profession. She wants to help people out. Uh, she tries to remain as blissfully unaware of the stuff that's going on with her father's business as she can. And I think that's kind of like exemplified by her telling Flynn like, oh, guys like Vito, no, they're great. They wouldn't harm a fly, even though they're out there like shooting dudes in the back of the head. And like, yeah. she's got to be aware of shit like that. So then when you have this moment of Carmilla and uh, it was Vito's wife in the room with her, I'm pretty sure. And they're talking about like whether or not Vito's gay and Meadow, knowing probably what would end up happening, is just like, oh yeah, he's super gay. Like you should talk to Flynn; he'll tell you exactly how gay Vito is. It was uh, I think Rosalie was there with Carmilla. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like Meadow, that's completely... before they went on their weird trip to Italy, yeah, or France, I guess it was. Yeah, but Meadow completely sells him out. Yeah. Well, I. I feel like she probably didn't even think it would really be a big deal. But I don't but, know. But that's kind of what I mean about being blissfully unaware, right? Yeah. Like, she probably didn't think about it, but if she bothered to put in the thought, she should have been able to kind of connect the dots and figure out what was going to happen to Vito. Yeah. So anyway, she this should, kicks off... She should have kept her mouth shut. <laughs> a bizarre long storyline, the equivalent of when James went to the other town in Twin Peaks, uh, where which kind of ends up not really mattering That's better than that though I'm yeah, more invested in, in Vito's Relationship with that one dude than I was With anything that was going on in That's the, true in that but, Twin Peaks. but the thing is you go through all of this with Vito And the other town and like coming To grips with his identity and everything And then yeah. Like he's just like mm, I guess I need to go home and die uh, Because like <laughs> He, he to... did one day of work and was like, fuck this. Yeah. I mean, literally, yes. Like, the whole thing of him just, like, looking at the time and being like, okay, it must be noon now. And looks, it's like 9.45. <laughs> well, time I to had to work shot. for at least four hours. And it's actually just been, like, 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, But also, it's this whole thing of building up sympathy for him. And then he just, like, rear ends some guy in Maine. And ends up shooting him for no real reason It's like, eh, yeah, okay, Vita can go get clipped Doesn't matter Yeah He sucks I do like, though, uh, since we're already just getting into Vito's death uh, So the way that a lot know, of that stuff gets handled I know handled, what you're going to say <laughs> Maybe, uh, I'll oh, get there, I, I want to take a bit of a walk to it Bill's But entrance. I... Yes, <laughs> I will get to it though. <laughs> um, I th there is a huge disagreement between Tony and uh, Phil, which is a lot of where like the the, the rift between them grows to a degree that is just untenable, and it is my best really, earner. Yeah, it it really comes to a head with the matter of Vito. Uh, speaking of good character moments, there's a bit where Tony is talking to Melfi about the fact that Vito is gay and what that means culturally in the mafia. 
and also what it means to Tony personally. Um, and Melfi just kind of confronts Tony on like, does it really matter to you personally that Vito is gay? And Tony's like, you know, not actually. Like, yeah. I just, I just say like, let him go do whatever he wants to do. I don't give a shit. It's like the one redeeming quality of Tony is that he really does not actually, on a personal level, have an issue with gay people. No. He, um, he says something like, it doesn't matter. Like, what matters is the size of the envelopes he's bringing in. Yeah. So, look, the, the other shoe drops. And it's still yeah. about money to Tony. But uh, Tony kind of, like, sticks by that to a point where he's just like i really don't want to sell this guy out and have him die he is a top earner for me and like he's gay who fucking cares he's making money i mean he does uh, have but, pressure because everybody else sure wants him dead uh, yes Pauline everyone included. else wants him dead yeah just for the gay thing but no one wants him more dead than phil because uh, yeah. phil is like phil super doesn't like gay people uh phil also is upset about what this means for his sister who is Vito's wife yeah um there's there's a real good bit before i get away from it completely where they're still trying to confirm this and they go to Vito's kumar and uh silvio is just like hey i know women well enough to know a woman who ain't getting fucked <laughs> <laughs> i think this Vito fella might be gay was was that uh, or was i thought he was talking about his wife I thought it was uh, his Gumar. I, I they thought he was to talking too. about his wife. It might have been his wife. I, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, both loveless relationships. Yeah. Well, um, that's not entirely not really, fair. Because he does care about her. Like enough yeah, Vito does care like, about his wife. He calls her, ends up coming yeah. back, spending time with her and the kids, like trying yeah. to. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to his. We'll get yeah. to his fucking kids. <laughs> <That> kid. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Um, but yeah, so eventually he, he gets cornered in a hotel. And like, of all the things you can say about Phil Leotardo, man is a, just a beautifully theatrical motherfucker. Not he knows subtle. he's going to go kill, yeah, he knows he's going to go kill a gay guy. So he's just like, okay, what do I do to make my grand entrance? What if I come out of a closet, baby? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> He should have come out wearing heels. Just really drive the point home. <laughs> oh, man. Frank Vincent's so good in this, though. <laughs> Phil is, like, the best and also the worst. He is. He's great. Anyway, Vito gets murdered, and they shove a pool cue up his ass. Because, uh, you know, gay yeah. stuff. Oh, sure. Uh, which does end up paying off with this other guy who, a, a made man who comes in and talks to Silvio and uh, what's his face. And is just making a bunch of cracks about the pool cue and uh, everyone else also being gay. So they stab him a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Uh, but. Uh, you know, kind of moving ahead from him, but I want to pull back for a bit. But uh, Johnny Sack. Uh, does die this season not in the way i think anyone would have initially expected well that's... Uh, he gets the cancer real bad yeah because like uh so the first half of the last season he's just in jail uh, because yeah. they got him at the end of season five but then just the beginning of the second half all of a sudden he got the cancer a lot yeah. of cancer and it's aggressive yeah uh, too he dies Sydney in a very Lumet's short amount of time here to tell you how aggressive yeah. his cancer is. Also, he killed his family. 
It's a good cameo. Well, well, you know, he's still a good doctor. Johnny yeah, Sack wants Johnny, to make that clear. Yeah, Johnny Sack seems into it. But yeah, uh, this ends up uh, further further upsetting uh, Phil because Phil sees the stuff that Johnny is doing as being weak. Uh, Mm -hmm. Johnny making like plea deals and stuff because Johnny knows that his family is going to be left with nothing, and so he's trying to leave them with something. He's he's desperate. Well, the main thing is that as part of this plea deal, uh, Johnny Sack admits the mafia is real. Which is something you do yeah. not do. The allocution, yeah. they call it. Um, Even yeah. though, of course, it's like, come on. <laughs> of course, it's real. I know, but you're not supposed to say it. Oh, who cares? It's the worst kept secret. Just, it's fine. The mob like, is real. It's but this fine. Is, this is also after, specifically in the first half, uh, when Johnny Sack's daughter gets married. And he yeah. is allowed to leave jail to go attend it. But then they sort of like drag him out Because he went over his yeah. allotted time And he starts crying And then that's when Phil's like You can't be crying in front of everybody Come on man. Yeah which is another good bit of like uh, Good guy Tony emerging Where it's just like Dude's getting ripped away from his family <laughs> yeah. Man come on Like lay off of him Like we all care about our family Who's to say we wouldn't do the same thing Me Phil probably wouldn't do the same thing <laughs> Phil's Phil's made of different stuff well, than the rest of us. Yeah, Phil is insane in many ways. Yes. Uh, Phil Leotardo is... Talk about actual sociopaths. Uh, I think he's yeah. maybe more of one than Tony is. But Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Tony's got his ducks and his horsey. <laughs> well, not anymore. <laughs> Phil, Phil don't got nothing. Phil's got to deal with Vito's fucking kid. Phil just has that. We little, are now going to talk about. No way. Phil just has that little creep who kind of looks like Elon Musk with a lazy eye. That's it. That's his only guy. Yeah. yeah uh, Vito's kid gets into some real weird shit as a coping mechanism. First of all, becomes a goth, which yeah, we've all been there. Looks That's like the, the Garugamesh most... guy from that Sakura Khan yes, commercial. Yes, he does. Yeah. The most normal thing that he does is become a goth. Everything yes. else. Uh, There's a bit in the showers uh, at his school where everyone's, you know, making fun of him because his his dad's gay and ah, early 2000s. And so his... By this point, it's like 2007. Mid-2000s. Yeah. Um, So he just takes a big shit on the floor and then steps on it. And then everyone just runs out of the room screaming, which frankly is the correct reaction to have when somebody just takes a big old step in their shit. Yeah. Uh, So that gets him expelled. Yes. And then they make the right call to send him away to some sort of a home. Because I think that when you're stepping in your own shit, Pretty much it's time for you to go I'm I'm on the side with the people that kidnap well, Vito's son So here's the thing though They only do that Because Tony ran out of money gambling it away Because he was That's going right. to He was going to give yeah. the money To move Like he goes and gets it out of the safe And then he's like But there's this sure bet on, I think it was football <laughs> or something And they it just shows It like cuts to him in the car Listening to it on the radio And like the team he bet on got blown out And he's just like Angry and punching the dashboard And then that's why he's like Ah well I guess he'll have to deal with military camp 
Yeah, we're going to send him to Tobin Bell's military camp. <laughs> yeah. Toughen him up a little bit. Uh, Tobin Bell will get you to stop stepping in your own crap. <laughs> I'm confident in that. Yeah, you should put that kid in a jigsaw trap. You love to step in your own crap. <laughs> now you'll have to wade through a kiddie pool full of it. <laughs> Find the key and you can exit this room. Liver crap, make your choice. <laughs> I mean, there's, technically, there's nothing actually dangerous in here, but you'll have to stay in here a while. Well, if you get some of it in your mouth, you might get like coli. Yeah, that sure. would probably not be good. Yeah. That's true. You know, if you have any open wounds on your body as you're going through the <laughs> kitty pool pool shit. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen Family Double Dare? <laughs> I was just about to say that. Reach inside this giant nose to find the key to the exit. <laughs> Jigsaw Double Dare would be very good. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, just sets up a whole obstacle course. Uh, that one kid with the brittle bones cracks his head open. Jigsaw's got to, like, <laughs> settle out of court. Uh... Oh, man. Anyway, uh, Vito's kid gets written out of the show because he's yeah. a too fucking weird to be on TV anymore. They're like, we have to devote a lot of time to Tony's own weird kid. Oh God! A all the stuff, time. all the stuff with AJ's depression is fantastic. I really like the shot of him out by the pool, just putting on his death bag and grabbing a cinder block. I like him hanging out in the mental ward, watching Metalocalypse. Hell yeah! Uh, playing Xbox 360 games. Yeah, you know, just yeah. chilling well, you out. Can, you can even hear it's Halo, also. Yeah. Yeah, just going to start getting close to this underage girl who's also in here. Yeah, you know, that's fine. Alyssa, Bob Dylan, and set some leaves on fire. It's all fine. Yeah, no, it's it's half your age plus seven, so he's good to date (laughs) as low as like you know twelve. What? That's how that works. Sure. Look, I'm not good at math. I don't know how old AJ is. Um, No, he's an he's an adult by this point. Well, like he probably shouldn't be dating a fifteen year old. He says she's like a junior in high school, just so she'd be like seventeen. But they um before we get to the second half and all of that, uh, the first half has the excellent episode where Tony and Christopher go on a little road trip. <laughs> oh, I'm with the fucking Vipers. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with the Vipers. Oh, <laughs> I like him. Yeah, they they roll up on this bike gang that's stealing boxes of wine, and so they decide that while this biker gang isn't loading the boxes, they're going to start loading up boxes into their car, and they they hold them at gunpoint, and the the bikers are like, you know who we are, we're with the Vipers, and Tony and Chris think this is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, And so, like, this is this one moment they share where it feels like the old days of just doing heists, like Mm -hmm. little dumb boy petty crimes and stuff and so as their relationship starts to drift apart further in the season they occasionally just kind of look at each other and go like oh i'm with the vipers to like relive this one moment that they had where everything was kind of good yeah this is a sweet little moment and i like it a whole lot 
Because, but but the thing is, that's also the episode where um, they're doing it's like some kind of festival. I don't remember what it was, but where Polly was put in charge of it, yeah, and he like cheaps out <laughs> on like the rides and everything and gets people injured. Uh, yeah. And then that's also the one where um, he finds out or like he starts stressing out about prostate cancer, and that's when yeah, he goes into the thing. Huh? By the way, I'm Polly Walnuts. By yeah, the way, yes, because Polly's also got <laughs> some severe issues with uh, thinking he's got medical problems that he might not actually have. Although he does end up having cancer, is the thing. But, yeah, uh, they say like they got early or something. Um, yeah, so he's fine. But that's but... also when he comes back and sees the Virgin Mary in the Bing, which is a really good scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Talk which, about Twin Peaks which then, level like, stuff. It doesn't really come up again until the very end when he tells Tony about it and he's just like, ah, you're wacky. <laughs> there's, it's skipping ahead a bit, but, you know, on the subject of Polly, there's this really good episode where, so a running thing in the back of Tony's head is who ratted Ralph Ciparetto right. out for his joke about Johnny Sack's wife, which we know is Polly. Mm-hmm. And Tony is suspicious of Polly about this, and he still wants to get to the bottom of it because he feels betrayed by it. It was a violation of their trust as a family. So the two of them, they're going to work out a deal. They are away from home. Or no, not, not working out a deal. I'm sorry. Uh, Tony's almost about to get got over like his first murder because the police found a body. Yes. They're, they're digging up stuff. And so he needs to get out of town for a while, and he goes with Polly. That's another and good road trip episode. It really is, because like the entire thing about that episode is Polly's like a dumb dog, basically. He's very <laughs> excitable. He loves being around people. Yeah, he's, he's very gregarious. Like, yeah, he's he's in a really good mood, like pretty much all the time. He's despite some of the stuff with them kind of having that rift apart when he was in jail, he's still like very loyal to Tony at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's really, a lot of like, just Tony kind of... He's kind of one of the few that is until the end. Yeah. And so, Tony's kind of finding out, like, you're Polly's best friend. Like, Polly loves you. He Polly would never do anything to hurt you. And so, Tony decides to go take him on a boat, which reminds Polly of Big Pussy's death. Mm-hmm. And then Tony just, you know, thinks about murdering Polly for a little bit. <laughs> when they're sitting there, he's just like, you know, uh, if it was you that told Johnny Sack about that, that's all right. You just have to yeah. tell me. <laughs> but Polly yeah. sticks to it. He's like, no, I don't know about it. And then Tony's just like there looking at knives and stuff on the deck <laughs> of the boat. Think about how easy it would be. They're in secluded waters. Also, the um the background there, like that boat was apparently rocking a lot to the point where it was nearly vertical at points, according to the rear projection screen. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. was really weird because it would cut back to like looking at Tony and it kind of just looks normal, and then it would cut back to Polly, and the Tony's... water was like going up and down like in insane levels. Yeah, it cuts over to Polly, and Polly is like completely upside down, <laughs> like the boat is flipping like a perfect storm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but 
Yeah, like I, I really like the stuff with Polly, and then and kind of going back to like the uh, wine heist thing with Tony. That is, uh, he starts drinking the wine in front of Chrissy, who mm -hmm. again has substance abuse issues. Part of that is not touching alcohol, and so throughout this second half of the season, Tony is basically going like, you know, you're a fucking bummer when you're not drunk, and like maybe is, you should just have great. a drink. Yeah, yeah, good thing to Don't, do. Do not do that to someone with substance abuse issues. But Tony really is just, I think for him with Tony's own problems, it makes him feel better when other people are doing worse than him. Yeah. I think him trying to push Chris off the wagon, or does he get him on the wagon? I can never. Do you get on the wagon or do you get off the wagon? Off the wagon if you're drinking again. Okay, so Tony's trying to push him off the wagon because it makes Tony feel like a big man, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but to a certain extent, he kind of has a point about Chris not being as much of a involved member of the family because a lot of the stuff that they do when they interact with each other is taking place inside the Bing, and Chris doesn't want to go there because the Bing is a bar. Yeah. So he's not as involved, and but that's why this also means he doesn't go to other business. functions and stuff. Yeah, and he makes speaking of Tobin Bell, <laughs> it's like song against the Godfather. I can't believe we didn't talk about this. Chris's weird, dumbass movie. He he gets back into doing movies, and he decides that yeah, Chris, his idea is Saw meets the Godfather. Uh, there's a really good scene of him pitching this to Silvio, and Silvio is just the movie critique guy that has yeah. to punch a bunch of holes and shit uh -huh. for no reason other than to be a buzzkill. You know, he's yes, <laughs> Silvio Cinema Sins. Oh god, that'd be so good. <laughs> it would. But just they're they're talking about like, oh, well, there's normally a supernatural element to these slasher fix, and Sylvia's just like, well, not Halloween. Yeah. That was just a guy. Yeah. Um, but there's a really I was good line that just didn't say that. something like, you know, the first Friday the thirteenth, that was just his mom. Yeah, that would have been really good. But uh, that scene ends on a really good line, which is just this moment of silence and then somebody going like, Ghostbusters, that's another money earner. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that one. Uh, so, yeah, when you watch this, you had told me like, oh, and they've got a Baldwin in this. And I guess like, is it Daniel Baldwin? Because I know he'll do about anything for money. And it sure was. Uh-huh. Uh, I... So he plays the Tony uh, stand-in in Chris's movie. Uh, there's a whole plot, like a subplot in this movie about how uh, the Tony facsimile slept with the Chris facsimile's uh, wife. And so this calls back to the stuff with Adriana and uh, they get in the car crash and then the rumor starts about how Adriana was sucking Tony off in the car. Uh -huh. And that's what caused the crash. And so Tony thinks nothing of this at first. Uh, Tony's just like, yeah, it's a really good movie. I'm proud of you. Yeah, he just notices then, like as... when, when uh, Daniel Baldwin is like in a bathrobe in the basement, just like Tony and Christopher like looks at and points him like, huh, huh. Yeah, and Tony's into it. He's just yeah. like, hell yeah, yeah. You got a Baldwin to play me? <laughs> it's just like Tony's sight. He's way into it. He's got all this fucking cleaver merchandise and stuff yeah, he's, he's giving out to mug. people. And, yeah. Well, yeah. So the thing about uh, when he has an issue with it only comes up from Carmela, who also only oh, notices it because yeah. of Rosalie. 
Yeah, and so this is also part of what begins to drive Tony to push Chris to drinking, is because he now feels resentment over this. So this is another way for him to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting kind of seeing this relationship uh, fall apart. Eventually this culminates in a feud between Polly and Chris, and this just further exacerbates uh Chris is feeling like he needs to turn to substances. Mm-hmm. And eventually he does. He he breaks, he gets drunk at a party, uh, tells a really <laughs> bizarre story about, like, uh, I got my daughter, man, and if I look at my daughter, it's like it's looking at part of me that exists in the past ba- and in the future, the and the kids are, are the future. future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of good bits of, like, cutting to him, looking at his drink, and then looking at the crowd and everyone laughing at him. Yeah. And kind of realizing, oh, I fucked up. I gotta get out of here. So, but the Um, reason he drinks, though, is because this is after a feud that he had with Polly when they're making up. And that feud is maybe the best thing in this season for me. Mm. Just the shot of Polly angrily driving on his way to Chris's (laughs) house to do donuts in the yard is amazing. Chris in his yard screaming about how much money it's going to cost. He ripped up the bushes. All the flowers you yeah. just planted. And, like, I can't remember exactly what precipitates this. It's some sort of, like, business deal that's going over Chris's head uh, that Chris would have it's, been um, more aware of if he Polly's, was more... Polly sent the guys to boost the drills from the hardware shop right. of his uh, Chris... wife's dad. And he would have known about this if he was more participatory in things, which then kind of goes back to him showing up no, at the party. No, he wouldn't. And... Like, Polly admitted that they were just there to steal the stuff. Well, like, the, the argument that Tony makes to him, though, is oh, like, yeah. maybe you would have had some idea this shit was going on if you were actually around here. Like, yeah. maybe it would have been that, hey, you were in on the plot, but at least if you were around Polly, you might have had some idea Polly was up to something. Maybe. Yeah, uh, like, like Polly's little, not good at hiding shit. No, a little Polly, like he does that bit later on where he's like, "Oh, he didn't tell you I'll call him," and he just like enters nothing on his cell phone and talks into it, and the guy's dumb enough to fall for it. Yeah, I still like when Ralph Cipperetto does that earlier in the series, and it's Vito on the other end, and he just yeah. cuts back to Vito going like, oh, "Is Lady Walking her dog?" <laughs> and that guy just sneezed. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> kind of cloudy out. Um. Yeah. So this uh really boils over when Chrissy pushes uh little Polly out the window, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the poker yeah. game. And so they end up making amends at this party where Chris then drinks, and then Polly's further humiliating him. Uh, and so he goes back to his screenwriter buddy, uh, to let him know like I've fallen off the wagon. And like, you know, I'm, I've am i had it with this mafia shit. I will tell you everything that I know so you can use that as material. And like, rightfully, the screenwriter guy's like, fuck no. Yeah. Like the one time where, where it, this sort of happened, I felt like I was going to die. I had like mafia people talking to me and ask me like, what did you mean by this? And I'd make up some bullshit story about how it's referencing some other fucking movie. Like, I'm not doing this. Like, these guys will kill me. <laughs> so Chris is like, hey, check out my gun. Blap. Blap. <laughs> Murders I mean, him. Yeah. 
The poor Tim Daly. Yeah, poor Tim Daly. He got beat up with that Doctor Strange love poster. Now he's getting shot. <laughs> not having a good time. It's Every a... time he shows up on the screen, he's getting his ass beat. He's just like the bouncer at the bottom bing. Here's a little fun fact, though. So you have Tim Daly there in a recurring role, and then also one of uh, in only one scene for some reason, uh, one of Chris's other AA buddies is Christopher McDonald. Shooter McGavin from uh, Happy Gilmore In Superman The animated series Tim Daly played Superman And Christopher McDonald was Jor-El What do you think of that? Oh, oh I don't think anything of it Because I don't care Yeah it doesn't matter Superman. It holds no yeah, actual no. relevance to anything But <laughs> just thought you might want to know Actors appear in multiple projects That's right It's interesting But It's interesting that actors do more than one thing it is, but both of them like also being members of the AA group in this other show years sure. later. You know. I like when actors do only one thing, Me which too. I'm seeing a lot of through Star Trek the Next Generation. <laughs> so I had to come up on this episode because I'm starting to develop a bad case of Mike's Declassa brain. But you saw uh Vincent Chavello. Chavelli? Chavelli. Chavelle? Chav Chav it's whatever Chav you want it to be. Sh Terry Schiavo. Yeah, that's it. Yep, you got it. Yes. Vincent Chiavelli, I believe. Sure. Where were we going with this? I'm sorry. No, I was saying you like when actors only do one thing, but if you're watching oh, Star right, Trek, right, right. then yeah. you would you would recognize people from other things, so I'm not really sure what you mean by that. There are definitely people who just kind of show up and it's just like, ah, they, they were, they had a walk on thing and a single line and Trek and they've never done anything else. But yeah, you get a lot of like, well, Trek goes on for so long and it's such a big thing. You get a lot of these uh, character actors who you've seen in a million things and eventually get people who are like fairly well known actors. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's already happened in the first season of Trek where I end up seeing people and going like, oh, I know that that dude. It's always playing a character in something. I've seen him in a million other things. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Chris dies. <laughs> so rest <laughs> in peace, Chris. And moving on. So, well, that scene also was really rough at first because it cuts back to the uh, the baby seat. And I thought, oh, no, mm. the baby died in the crash. And then, like, much later, I realized, oh, it was just that Tony saw that and thought, oh, it could have been in there. Yeah, and I oh. get that's like maybe one of the things that sends Tony over the edge and he just decides to kill Chris yeah. is if this guy's life has become this destructive, then think of all the people he's going to take out with them. Yeah, I'm sure part of it is still remorse over Adriana and like how that's yeah. because she got involved with him. And so he's like, well, I don't want anything to happen to his nice wife and kid uh, yeah. now that he finally has somebody else uh, like no reason to drag them down with him so eh, pinch yeah. his nose yeah let him choke to death on his own blood it's a very convenient <laughs> excuse and then he calls him a d girl right before he dies which is like the most fucked up thing <laughs> uh, uh but yeah there's uh chris is dead and maybe he uh gets reincarnated as a cat later on who knows <laughs> <laughs> it's open to interpretation yeah, sure. You know, a lot about the ending is open to interpretation. It can literally mean whatever you want it to mean. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I we'll, love we'll that. Get there. It's Ollie a little gets so away. creeped out by that cat. 
Me too. He's just staring at Chris's picture tone. Hey, there's a mouse in the wall or something. <laughs> I'm going to hit this fucking cat with a shovel tone. <laughs> I'm popping him upside the head. I don't like him. Yeah, Polly's got the right idea. Cats are little jerks. No, you can't trust nice. a cat. No, cats are cats are one of the most manipulative creatures. When you die, they will eat your remains. You are just another meal to them. Yeah, They're sure. biding their time. I I don't trust cats. No one should trust cats and chimps. Are the two most untrustworthy animals in the entire animal kingdom. Well, I, I, I don't trust that. either of them. Uh, I at least get the appeal of cats because they're cute. That's how they draw you in. They're into their manipulative web of lies. Uh, monkeys, though, the people who like trust and love monkeys, I don't trust them either. Like they are up to something. They're <laughs> criminals, probably. Uh, cat people are just uh, very stupid and easily manipulated. It depends on the ape. Chimps cannot be trusted. Orangutans, they're fine. No, orangutans yeah. are even worse. No, they're not. You ever God. seen every which way but loose? I uh, hear a dumbass <laughs> trusting orangutans. Clint Eastwood, he had Clyde with him. Just rode in his truck. Clint Eastwood's talking to empty chairs there. <laughs> what, you not saying a stellar you don't, argument. You saying you don't trust chairs either? Well, not ones that are empty. A ghost could be sitting in it. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. And really thought what if about I sit that? in a ghost's lap and the ghost whose lap I'm sitting on is a guy? What does that mean for me? <sighs> They'll do me like Vito. I'm fine with it. Anyway, this, okay. all, this all comes to a head uh, as tensions between the New York families and the New Jersey families boil over. Yeah, so they are now at war. Uh, Tony's hanging out with his bear shooting gun, uh, waiting for Phil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and everyone's out there looking for Phil, and there there's a real good bit. They hire these guys from Italy, so there's like less to connect them all together. Right. Except uh, they're stupid. They're very dumb, uh, and they shoot the wrong. They shoot a guy who looks Phil Leotardo adjacent. Yeah. And then also that dude's like wife or mistress daughter. so now there's like innocent okay daughter yeah and so now there's innocent people dead uh and and phil is still in hiding no one knows where he's at and the best part about that um, is like nobody realizes it happened like that they messed up at first yeah it takes it takes a bit yeah they see someone on tv and they're like wait a minute well the italians um they call up that one guy the guy that looks like the kid from killing of a sacred deer and uh dunkirk uh, talk, talk about trustworthy yeah and they're like oh, do, do you know if he spoke ukrainian because they were speaking ukrainian to each other and uh because my brother is ukrainian or something like that it's just like yeah no i, I don't think so whatever yeah maybe <laughs> yeah maybe and then later know, they, later they look at the the newspaper with this guy on the cover and they're like hey who you think he looks like eh and then they realize what happened yeah. Uh so Phil's in hiding somewhere. The 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 war is getting extremely bloody very quickly. Uh Silvio unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, we need to get into the Bobby stuff. We completely yeah. glossed over that. Uh but Silvio does get put in a coma. 
and so that's basically it for Silvio for the rest of the series. Um, yeah. Imagine what wonderful coma dreams he's having. <laughs> they should do a spinoff just about that. Maybe that's what Lilyhammer is. It's just him, like, perpetually trapped in a blood, sweat, and tears concert. <laughs> That'd be a great time. Still listening to their whole set over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I love spinning wheel. <laughs> He has a coma dream where it's like Wow I'm playing with Bruce Springsteen And Max Weinberg's over here This is weird uh, So Bobby Bacala mm-hmm. Talk about how O'Brien must suffer in Star Trek And how yeah. that's a whole trope of just this, this character exists for the worst shit to happen to them Bobby fulfills that role splendidly Throughout yeah. the course of The Sopranos I mean, this is a guy whose father got put up to doing a hit and died as a result, even though he begged everyone involved not to put him up to it. Uh, he had to take care of Uncle June while his health was deteriorating and he was becoming combative with him. And we need to loop back around to Junior, too. But, oh, yeah. Uh, worst thing to happen to him is getting married to fucking Janish. <laughs> and... They go I on this like trip. Anybody, I wouldn't want that to happen to Phil. Yeah. He gets his like eye gets like shrapnel in it, so there's like a bit where Bobby's just rocking an eye patch, and I kind of wish he had it for the rest of the series. I like <laughs> yeah. eye patch Bobby, yeah. my favorite version of Bobby Bacala. But they they go on this like uh, trip together, uh, this kind of like family bonding thing where they all play Monopoly and drink entirely too much alcohol. Mm-hmm. And they begin to have some very severe disagreements over Monopoly, specifically the no parking rule, where you then like get the community chest. No, it's that um, the, the, any the, the pot sort of money, of, any sort of time you have to pay money to the bank, you instead put it on free parking, and if you land on yeah. free parking, then you get the pot, uh, which is stupid. That's how I always played the game as a kid. It's I thought terrible. that was the actual rules, and it's because of the Sopranos I found out that, no, that's like a dumb house rule that people made up. But you get a good bit of Bobby going, like, you took a game about skill and you turned it into a bunch of random shit. <laughs> yeah, the, just the Mario Party ethos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bobby getting hit with blue shells left and right and just slowly losing his fucking mind over it. Uh, but Tony's saying some bad shit about Janice, which is entirely deserved, first of all. Yeah. Uh, but Bobby, being a good husband, despite the fact that he's sacked with Janice, uh, blows up on Tony. They get into a fight, and Tony gets his ass beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this real good bit in the middle of the night, Tony waking up, just walking right into Janice and Bobby's bedroom and going like, Hey, you won fair and square, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, beat me up real good. I respect you as a man. <laughs> Goes then, back to bed. And then later, <laughs> the next... he's like, you know, uh, a shaka punch is a shaka punch. And then Bobby's <laughs> like, oh, so it wasn't fair and square now, eh? Yeah. There's this good bit where he's talking to Carmelo. He's just like, I remember when you saw me beat that kid up in high school and that's how you ended up with me. Oh, well, are you going to go sleep with Bobby now? <laughs> like, no, Tony, I'm not going to cuck you. <laughs> Uh, But you also get this uh, bit in the boat uh, with Bobby and Tony where they're kind of talking about the nature of death. And Bobby is just like, I I bet when it happens, you don't hear it coming. Yeah. You know, it's just 
yeah, you're minding your own business, and then the next moment you're just you're gone, and you would not be able to really perceive this. So uh, totally meaningless scene that has nothing to do with anything absolutely. else, and will never come up again. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know why I talked about it, frankly. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, then he finds out that Bobby never actually killed anybody. Oh, uh, God. And so he's like, eh, to get back at him, I think I'll have him go shoot this guy for these guys that are selling God. us pills from Canada. And this is like the death of Bobby Bacala's soul. Yeah. Because like the, the rest of the time you see him throughout the series, just the joy has left that man's face. Mm. He is more willing to suggest murdering people. Uh, He is just sort of dour every time you see him. The last scene you get with Bobby is the bit that just really hurts the most. Because despite all of this, all the abject suffering Bobby has had to go through, his one respite is still these fucking trains. (laughs) And so he's in this toy store for trains. He's, He's basically doing the, like, you know... Someone's got the box with that new perfect grade RX seventy two, and they're talking to you, and they're just yeah. like, oh, "I mean, it's like four hundred bucks, but like, oh, look how nice this is." The injection molding. Yeah. Look, look at, at all these panel lines. LEDs. Yeah. Ooh. Actually, he does so Bobby, that. like like that train does light, yeah. light up. Yeah. And and Bobby is in love with this little model train. It's very expensive. But he's like, you know what? After everything that happened, I'm just going to treat myself. I'm going to buy this train. Uh, wear my little choo-choo hat. Be a weirdo in my garage about this. Yeah. Uh, and then some dudes roll up and they shoot him dead. He but, falls back in slow motion yeah, into he, a pile of trains. Bobby gets the most <laughs> elaborate death scene of anybody in this show. Yeah. Like, all well, they the know shots who of, the audience like, cares about. The people screaming and like the cuts to the little figurines screaming also. Yeah. And everything. And like the train falling off the tracks and all of this. Yeah. Yeah. They they give him an out uh, worthy of the Bacala name. They do, and correct me if I'm wrong. There's no sound during it, or it's like mumbled. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It it has the okay. people screaming and showing the figurines well, I also it at the same time. Because I know that like when uh, that dude gets shot in front of Silvio, yes, the audio is cut out of that. Like Silvio's yeah. just talking, and then the next minute there's blood. There's no audio. Yeah. Um. Again. Has nothing to do with anything. Oh, of course Don't know not. why I brought it up. No, no yeah, significance. Completely pointless. Yeah. Uh, just a thing I noticed, you know, but it, yeah, whatever. Um, so while that happens, Bobby's dead now. Silvio's in a coma. Uh, Uncle Junior, though, uh, he's coming up better than everybody else. I mean, he's got his card games back. <laughs> yeah. Everything's going yeah. great for Uncle Junior. <laughs> So anyway, uh, Uncle June is uh, locked up in uh, a nursing home. He's made a nice friend, a Asian guy who uh, does his bidding. Yeah, he's hey. got an orderly who he gives. Larry, what? The trivia for you. Check this out. Tell me what you think of this. That Asian guy, Kin Kin Luing, uh, L E U N G. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, he was also in Saw with Tobin Bell. That's right. Tobin People Bell. are in multiple things. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Who also had a cameo on The Sopranos. He was also in Goodfellas. Yeah. He was also in Seinfeld. 
<laughs> anyway, that's just something. When I saw him pop up, I was just like, wait a minute, I know him from somewhere. And then yeah, I noticed it was Saul. was just like, oh, this is weird that. I guess it's not too weird because the fact that they're calling out Saw earlier in the season. So I guess like they I mean, maybe know you also just, pull from it. You just see Christopher watching Saw at one point. Yeah. The the showrunners of The Sopranos got way into Saw at that point in time, I guess. I guess. There has to be like some deeper connection there. Like one of them maybe produced the movie or something like that. Maybe. I think. I haven't looked it up, but I I suspect that there's maybe more there, given how much they kind of like nod over to it. But, uh, but yeah, Junior's mental he ain't doing great. They're putting the Junior that... on some medication that makes okay. him drool a lot. Here's here's my thing though. I think Tobin Bell's first appearance was probably before Saw came out, because mm-hmm. that's kind of early in the show. It is, yeah. 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 Anyway. Anyway. Uh. Forgot what I was. Oh, right, Uncle Junior. So his arc this season is just the continued decline of his mental health. Uh, but you get this really good bit. So again, he's there because uh, earlier in the first part of season six, he shoots Tony. Yes. And so the the government decides you know, we got to put this guy in a in a home. He needs to be in a facility where he can be monitored and, and cared for because his condition has got to the point it's so deteriorated that he he's pulling a gun and he's shooting people who he thinks are other people. Um, and there's a real good bit where he's trying to like uh, petition uh, Dick Cheney to help him get <laughs> yes. released. He's just like as as someone else who has inadvertently shot people <laughs> perhaps you will sympathize with my play yes oh, and then he's like i just got a form letter back yeah i don't think dick cheney's even reading these things it's really good it's again the funniest show on television the sopranos <laughs> that's right <laughs> but like the final scene with him so i made a prediction that he would completely forget about the mafia like his mental state would become so declined that he would really just have no idea who anyone is where he's at and and it does get there Uh, janice last part yeah yeah janice visits him and and so there's this very brief subplot about what happens with uh this money and whether it should be left to janice or to Bobby's kids. And obviously Tony thinks the right thing to do, and it is the right thing to do, is leave it to Bobby's children and not to Janice, because Janice is a piece of shit. Uh-huh. Uh, but of course, Janice being a piece of shit, she wants the money. And so they need to go negotiate this with Junior, who is so far gone that negotiating this has become impossible. Yeah, uh, Junior doesn't know who Tony is. He doesn't remember being in the mob. None of it. Yeah. And so, that bit where like, Tony says something like, "You and my dad, you ran North Jersey," and he kind of just like looks out the window. He's like, "That's nice." That's a, yeah. Oh. But uh, yeah, he's just like you know this business you're involved in. And he's like, I "Was involved in that?" Um, <laughs> that is weird. But like, it's a pretty sharp decline. Uh, I I'm not sure what actually causes that. If it's just like a change in medication or something, because when he's at the other facility before the money runs out. He still is fairly aware of what's going on. 
I think it could partly be medication, but I think also this is one of those cases where a larger passage of time has elapsed than what it necessarily feels like, oh, yeah. given the pace of the story. Yeah. So I think he's probably been there for much longer. Um, but yeah, that's the final scene that he shares with Tony. And I guess, you know, Tony coming out the winner there, <laughs> like he really just, there's stuff earlier on about how Tony is just like, man, fuck Uncle Jr. He is beyond dead to me. Like, I want nothing but the worst shit in the world to happen to him. And, like, the worst shit in the world happens to him. Yeah. Like, his his brain is gone. Uh, there's also a good bit of AJ going, like, I'm going to fucking kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is just like, you're not getting in there. And he's just like, stranger things have happened. Uh... And the fucked up part is he almost actually does it. Like, the, yeah. he's so unassuming, this little twerp. That they let him in just far enough that he's able to like pull a knife out on Junior, but he fumbles it. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> but it's still, it's still good. I really like AJ thinking he's actually going to carry out a hit. Uh, there's stuff of him getting more involved in sort of the same stuff that his father is involved with, but also still being very visibly shaken by it. Uh, so Which... you know that it's probably not a life that he's going to fully embrace. Right, so um, now we get into the AJ situation in this mm, last season, which is, oh boy. AJ is depressed, man. <laughs> who who is and everybody's depressed. I'm depressed. <laughs> AJ's blowing up Hummers, trying to drown himself <laughs> in the pool. My rotten genes have infected my son. Oh, Tony. <laughs> That's actually a really sad scene. Yeah, it is. He's just like, yeah. Kind of breaking down over it and then like some of the stuff is where melfi ends up drawing the line too because she ends up having these like talks with her other friends who are in the same field and they're just like there's a new study out saying that like sociopaths manipulate their therapist to gain validation she's like no there's not <laughs> and then people keep putting the paperwork in front of her and going like no you should really read this like this is a problem uh, we're going to out to everybody that you're working with Tony over here, so people can definitely tell you that this is a problem. Yeah, well, the, uh, bog, so finally, the bog starts yeah. it, and then they go to that dinner dinner where he like brings it up again, and then just blabs about Tony. Yeah, God, but she does eventually do the right thing after six seasons of doing the wrong thing, and decides to break things off with Tony, uh, which like... of course upsets. How it's also because of, or like sort of the catalyst is Tony ripping the page out of that magazine with the yes. steak recipe for some <laughs> so reason. Can... Which also, like, I looked at that and I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, that is weirder <laughs> to me than him, like, stomping that guy's teeth out. Like, that at least I oh, can God, understand. Yeah. This yeah, is well, just he like. He said inappropriate just... things to his daughter. Yeah, you're ripping pages out of a magazine in a lobby? You've Come never on. never done that? No. That's as insane to me as that part on Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> where Larry is like drawing Hitler mustaches on magazines for no real reason. It's weird to you? Yeah. No, well, no, Larry, that, I it's, hate not, this. it's I... not weirder than that, but I'm saying that is as weird to me. Larry, I've taken full magazines out of offices. Yeah, you take them out, but you don't rip a page out. No, I've ripped pages out too. What? Why? Yeah. It's there. You just, it's, you, they're you not going to care. You look at it and you're like, man, I love this goofus and gallant so much, I gotta take it home with me? 
I wanted to do the like what's spot what's wrong in these photos bits of the highlights magazine and I didn't have time because they called me up to get my haircut so I ripped it out so I could save it for later. That's crazy. I'm not crazy. You're crazy. That's You're a, over here trusting orangutans, you fucking a, freak. That's a total lack of respect for both the magazine, the printed okay. form, the other people who would go into the lobby. First of all, I don't respect magazines. Mistake number one. You should. They're disposable. They're trash. There's a reason they're not around anymore. Mm. Second, second of all, all, just you, just you wait. You're going to be in your dentist's office again. You're going to pull over. There's going to be like some magazine about chimps. You're going to see a big old orangutan in there. You're going to rip that page out, shove it in your pocket. You're no, going to feel not. the compulsion eventually. Nope. It comes for us all. I've never once anyway, thought there, about doing that. There's a really good bit though. The the last bit you get with Melfi and Tony. Is Tony very vindictively pulling the page <laughs> yeah. out of his pocket, neatly setting it back in the magazine, closing it shut, kind of tapping it, going like, "There you go." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. Oh God, um, have we covered? Oh, Phil Leotardo's death. We didn't even talk about AJ though. So AJ, ah, oh, he's depressed. Get... Who cares? <laughs> but he gets uh, a hot lady. Uh, who happens to work at the construction place that he's got like oh, a God. cushy job with? And uh, let me tell you, like if she dumped me, I'd probably think about killing myself too. Because I was on. playing Shin, I was playing Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne while this yeah. episode was on in the background, specifically him like crying in the construction yard and <laughs> oh, just kind of like I remember slowly turning away from the Shinjuku hospital over to my laptop and just kind of staring at Sopranos for a moment, thinking like, what the fuck are you doing, AJ? It's so, oh, it's so bad. It's so pathetic. Yeah. You got dumped. It It's like, I've been through some really bad breakups where I probably was also just a horrible, inconsolable mess. And like, that is, then sort of takes me back to like, Oh, when you break up and you're very young and you've not had this experience very much and you maybe are already dealing with issues like depression and it just kind of makes you fall off the deep end and you behave in a way that is completely embarrassing. And like given enough time, you'll look back at it and you'll realize you handled it extremely poorly and you'll also feel like this deep-seated just completely mortified about it kind of feeling like you you look back at that and you cringe to the point that you feel like you're going to collapse on yourself and die and so watching that i was just like oh god (laughs) this reminds me of like crying over breakups when i was 16 oh yeah it's a very realistic portrayal is the thing yeah especially come on look at her like he's justified in this i feel like oh sure aj like he's way out of his league yeah batting way above his average oh yeah uh and like that's the thing too she leaves him because he is he comes from such affluence that she feels out of place it's partly to to a degree there's other stuff also the mob stuff i think she kind of understands that is like because it's specifically when they're at his house and like she meets Tony and everything that she's kind of like, mm, oh, but, not sure about oh, this. Oh, you tell me she didn't like Tony's little hat <laughs> no. that he got from Paris. His beret? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think so. 
<laughs> oh god, I love Tony as a little beret. Yeah, <laughs> it's I like so him good. just like sitting on the couch, like leaning on him with his beret on. Yeah, it's uh, really good. Um, but yeah, like it just also, him quitting I, I like his job because AJ... his girlfriend broke up with him and stuff like that. Like, I, I've never quit a job because I got broken up with, but like I, I can get in that headspace. Like but, thinking bad to bad breakups when I was young. But I also just like that AJ got into that relationship because um, the guys outside were making noise and he comes down like he's going to deal with them and he's just like, uh, I'll give you my bike if you leave. Oh, God. That's actually the most pathetic part of the yeah. entire thing. Yeah, I think so. That's the bit where I don't sympathize with it. The surprising I would just, thing step, is I would just stayed upstairs and minded my own business. Yeah. I, I would know. just not have confronted anybody. I don't know how it worked. Like, those guys should have just taken the bike and then jacked him anyway. Yeah. Take the bike and then hit him with the bike like he's a character in a Yakuza <laughs> game. Yeah. Dusty Road screams, he's got a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of AJ being completely pathetic, but also being completely pathetic, like you said, in a way that is very realistic. A, a, a sort of like just completely overreacting to things because he is young and has depression and just has not sort of done the work he needs to do with that stuff. Yeah, to I mean, get himself into a place that's more stable. Meadow comes in and tries to age. talk to him about Borat, and he has no interest, so that's how you know he's depressed. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's busy looking up like nuclear weapons stuff <laughs> yeah, and debating it whether or not he's going to join the yeah he's going to join the army and go to Iraq. Yeah, uh, and Meadow's just like, but what about the bit where he says very nice? AJ, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. his wife's a whore. Come on, laugh a little, live a little. It, yeah, he says something like it wasn't fair to the people involved, <laughs> and just goes back to looking at Al Jazeera. <laughs> Again, The Sopranos is the funniest show on television. Um, yes. Nothing is funnier than AJ, again, putting a bag over his head and dumping himself into the pool. Yes. Uh, which is where this all kind of just, you know, blows way, up. And... A very realistic cinder block, uh, which wobbles around sure. <laughs> like yeah. a gimmicked one when uh, it's up on the side of the pool. Yeah. Um yeah, so he, he tries to kill himself, he ends up in the mental health facility, he meets that girl, and that's where things start to turn around for him. But like by the end of the series, they they kind of hook AJ up with Hollywood folks because they have that connection now due to Cleaver. <laughs> that, uh, also, that, speaking of the Sopranos being funny, that uh, concept for the screenplay that Daniel Baldwin gives to them is oh, yeah. insane. <laughs> Wasn't it some sort of like Osmosis it's Jones like, it's like, like thing? It's like Freakazoid. It's like a detective that gets right, zapped yeah. into the computer. And he has to solve the murder of digital hookers, I think they say. Oh, right. It's Cool it's, World, but with computers. Yeah. Yes, basically. Um, yeah, so like things start looking up for him, but you can still tell that, you know, AJ's not all right by the end of the series, but that like he's probably going to be all right eventually probably um, meh, hopefully uh which i think then takes us to phil leotardo's death well they took my they took my boy out like yoshikage kira that's right don't steal my jokes yeah that's your joke has become mine <laughs> well thanks uh, i defeated you and stole it like Mega Man. <laughs> mm. 
yes completely unnecessarily uh gets so he has been calling his guys from payphone and so yeah. uh the guys like track him down to this one payphone well i think they were just camping out different uh gas stations because at check one gas station guys like uh we don't have payphone there are only a few that do and so eventually he goes to one of those stations popped in the head his wife also in the car like freaks out car starts moving and yeah. goes right over his noggin yeah twists his head around for splat there's a real well, good like one of the last it. things it's it's yeah. just like a sound but but like one of the last i might actually be the last thing is him waving to his grandkids and going like say goodbye to grandpa yeah and uh boy yeah because it's like from the back of him like looking in the car and then just yeah. the hand comes in from off screen and bah. So what this eventually results in is a reconsolidation of power within the New York clan, uh, which has happened numerous times already in this series. Uh, but now this weird-looking fucker, whose name I forget, who has like at multiple points in the show gone like, maybe we should kill Tony Soprano. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, now in charge. He's basically the number two of Phil. Yeah. Number number three? Number two. No. Number one? Number two, Italian Mafia King. Yes. Uh, we're talking, a, it's a reference to a thing, uh, Minka, she's <laughs> got big boobs. <laughs> Let me explain <sighs> this to you. No, I'm not going to. Um, so he, he's now in power. Uh, the... New Jersey side of thing also needs to get sorted out because a lot of people are are dead or have been arrested, um, and so they offer or Tony offers Polly uh, basically the Cifaretto crew, which was previously the um, April crew. Yes, and Polly being cursed. Yeah, Polly being a man of superstition wants nothing to do with it. Well, yeah, he's like, look um, what happened to all these other guys at Tony's. Like, Gigi died on the toilet. Yeah, and and so, really, when you kind of take a step back and you look at like post Sopranos and where things could have possibly have gone, the biggest winner is Polly. Polly had enough sense not to get involved in the April bullshit. Mm-hmm. Polly had enough sense to not trust the damn cat who has now showed up in this shot completely green screened uh-huh. in yes, very for good. one final moment of fucking garbage effects work from this goddamn show. Uh, you couldn't just get a cat to walk out on the sidewalk, guys? Are you fucking nope. serious? No. Absolutely not. What the? It looks so bad. Yeah, it does. But also, like, it's kind of perfect that the last scene with Polly has this hideous green-screened monstrosity of a cat. Yeah. Just walk in. Um, but it, it, it seems that everything's kind of done. Tony's going to go enjoy a nice dinner with his family, and that's exactly what he does in the, in the series. Ends. Yep. Yeah. That's fine. He, he, plays, uh, he plays some music on the jukebox. So, all right. It's open to interpretation, Larry. So yeah, I posted about happened? this before I even actually watched this in, and the people who think it's ambiguous are very stupid. Um, oh yeah. Because so before watching this, uh, I knew like what the ending was, and um, yeah, I knew really that at one this point, point pretty much everybody yeah, does. Uh, 
but I knew the character says something about how like you don't see it coming or something to that effect. I didn't know. For one thing, I did not know that at the beginning of the last season, at the second half of the last season even, and then they give you another flashback of that in the penultimate episode. And then also there's the bit with Silvio at the table. Uh, So yeah, Tony definitely dies at the end of this. Uh, Even if he didn't, at some point in the future he's going to. Like probably pretty soon. But it really implies here. Yeah, to me, there's two valid reads of this, and they can coexist. Mm-hmm. And it's that Tony's life is one of constant paranoia. There's no yes. such thing as a safe place for him. Yeah, it when could he's in this diner, point. yeah, the the way it's framed is him kind of like sizing up every dude who walks into that diner, constantly looking over his shoulder and just suspecting everything. There is a tension to that scene mm-hmm. that is meant to convey that even here in this diner with his family at the end of this show, Tony's life is still in danger and it will perhaps always be in danger. And it has always been in danger. And like I said, that can coexist with him actually fucking dying in this scene, which I'm convinced is what happens. Yes. Because well, the other thing is, so there is kind of the red herring of that, like a truck guy, but the guy at the bar who it keeps cutting to in the members only jacket, which by the way, They've mentioned members-only jackets before in the show. Yeah. Uh, he... Also, should have been a bald one. Yes. You ask me. Yeah. Um. But you have this whole segment of Meadow not being able to park. Um. That and... actually is like the most tense part of this entire scene. <laughs> Her not being able to parallel park. Um, oh, it's driving me insane watching that. Uh, you know, women drivers. Am I right? Uh. <laughs> So well, you're not wrong. You get this whole thing of her like trying to park, while the guy at the bar that keeps cutting to goes to the bathroom. And they've mentioned yeah. in the past that Tony's favorite scene in any movie is the part in the restaurant of the Godfather. In that season, yeah. they mention that because that yeah. is part of the confrontation with AJ. Is AJ going like, "But Dad, your favorite scene is the, uh-huh. the bit from the Godfather where they go grab the gun in the bathroom and that and." Right. Tony has to be like, so I don't know how to explain this to you, but that's a movie and it didn't actually happen. <laughs> yeah. So to me, it's that Meadow was delayed. She comes at a door. That's when Tony looks up to see her coming in. And then that's when he gets shot because he's distracted. Yeah. Yeah. That, it, that it is, seems fairly obvious. It seems that way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Probably because it is. Yeah. Um, again, we, we mentioned this on a previous episode of the podcast uh, that the showrunner had accidentally spoke about that scene as the death scene. And then when someone pointed out, like, you you know what you just did, right? He just paused for a moment and went, you motherfucker. <laughs> so, like... Oh, you. That should be confirmation enough for anyone who has held out for, like, almost two decades thinking that there's more ambiguity to that scene. That it's definitely that he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it, it, it kind of... I think that maybe started the whole thing of people assigning ambiguity to things where there is little or in fact none, because this is like a regular common thing that now happens with movies and prestige television where there's endless videos going like, Oh, we got to explain this ending of this thing. Or is this character still alive or are they dead? Maybe Walter White's still alive. Maybe. uh, Oh, are they in a dream or not? 
you know. Yeah. Even though did did, did Walter actually kill all those guys with that gun? Because that seems really impractical. Also, <laughs> I've never seen another goddamn episode of Breaking Bad in my life. Yes, Walter died. Uh, no, they're not in a dream at the end of Inception. Come on, use yeah. your brain. Look at the top wobbles, assholes. Yes, <laughs> it's they, very they clear what's going wobble. on. Yeah, it's. The Breaking Bad thing especially, because I remember people going like, it's completely impractical for Walter to rig up this arm that shoots this machine gun back and forth and to happen to line up all the Nazis perfectly. Do, do you remember You've got a when bomb made... into a nursing home. Yes, that also, the bit like in the first season where he makes that uh, bomb out of the meth or whatever and explodes like an entire floor of the building that he's yeah. on and he still comes out of it. Yep, so. he's fine. His ears are a little ringy. There's some blood there, but he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about everything to do with the uh, Salamanca twins being oh, yeah. more specter than man? Mm-hmm. Like, there's plenty of stuff in that series that is utterly ridiculous. And the issue people have that then sets up an even more ridiculous idea that the entire ending is some sort of fever dream of his as he's dying in a cabin is a gun in the trunk of a car. Yeah. People's brains are filled with worms, and I think that this episode of The Sopranos, this ending, is maybe ground zero for that. Could I be. know that the series has played with ambiguity before, like the stuff with the Russian in, in the forest, and we've talked about how we both appreciate that sort of ambiguity and storytelling that can kind of be waved away by saying that there are no easy answers in life. Like, sure. sometimes you get nothing. I mean, it, this ain't it this be, ain't it. Yes, it can be things like at the end of Jackie Brown, like does Max Cherry go after her or not? Yeah, who knows? Maybe he does. That, maybe the, he doesn't. The thing that makes stuff like that work is the plausibility of it. Yeah, where it is just well, there's a choice here, or or maybe when it's the things that are less plausible, like again in a David Lynch story, where there is maybe a, a sort of supernatural element to it. You don't need to understand the precise ins and outs of how that element works. The fact that it just exists and you perhaps know what its motive is, is enough. That's all you need. Okay, so I'm going to say it is not particularly this ending, but Lost has a lot to do with this. Um, And specifically that kind of TV of like this sort of puzzle box thing of people trying to figure out how it fits together. How do you solve this mystery? Even when there was no actual answer like to to begin with and they sort of just have to write their way into it that kind of thing of needing answers yeah even when there maybe aren't any at least I intended I keep forgetting about lost cuz I just do not care about lost like at yeah all. I don't either um it, yeah I but... only recently found out that there was some sort of like whole arg that ran parallel to that series oh okay which no doubt made things worse yeah probably uh, yeah, I, I think that is probably then the, the main thing that started it. But like you could see the seeds of it with this ending. Lost was first, wasn't it? Was it? I thought Lost was more like 2008. Oh, it was not that late. Oh, boy. Because um, there was a reference to it in that uh, Xbox 360 uh, Wolverine game. Oh, God, right. So it was like mid 2000s. Um, okay then yeah maybe uh, Lost aired from 2004 to 2010 
So, okay, well, there you go. Then then people's brains were getting primed by this yes. point for something like the Sopranos I mean, ending. To yeah, 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 Sopranos ended in 2007. So, but I I still think Sopranos is probably the first real thing you can point to about like here's this one very ambigu- ambiguous air quotes ambiguous well-known recognized scene that everyone is aware of that people mm-hmm. debate endlessly like that happened before the whole thing with like the lost characters waking up in the in the church or or whatever whatever the sure. fuck that means because i have no idea i don't think the writers of that show know what that means oh uh even i know like when that show first came out it's like oh they're in purgatory right like that's what this is and then yeah. uh yeah that was it yeah um uh, but yeah, the Sopranos ending is 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 fairly cut and dry to me. The, the last shot is Tony seeing Meadow walk in and it just cuts to black. Because he got shot in the head, that's it. It's the end of Tony's story. Tony mm-hmm. is the character you follow throughout the series. When Tony ends, the show ends. That's right. it. It's done. And also, um, that that's not just a direct cut to credits, but like a few seconds of black after that. Yeah, so this actually got me. <laughs> I, I hate to admit that this got me I knew kind of what was coming I know the whole like infamous uh, Cuts to black and it's the end of the show But the internet in my living room Isn't great as I've talked about before on here And I was watching this on my TV out there And so I thought that I had an internet interruption And the cut to black was just the connection dropped <laughs> And so the show like needed to load I mean I do like so how I said this moment where I was like wait a minute I like how abrupt it is With don't yeah. stop and then that it reminded me of speaking of David Lynch, Inland Empire, uh, the um, locomotion scene in that. Yeah. The Sopranos is very Lynchian. Oh yeah, a word that has plenty of meaning still. It definitely has not been diminished by freaks on the internet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, Tony dies. That that's the end of the show. Um, I just don't see how there's any other read other than that. And I think honestly, the the other possible read that Tony is alive is more boring. Yeah, me too. I feel is like it, okay, all he, this catching up to him is the yeah. proper ending. The idea that Tony survives at the end of the show—what is it? I don't know, again, if the implication is that he's always going to be looking over his shoulder, okay, until what point? Yeah, it has to give eventually. Otherwise, there is no resolution to this. There's no climax. You have nothing. It just ends and that's it right. and like again talk about how you don't always need answers that's clearly different between that and something like the end of twin peaks with the what year is it thing mm-hmm. like that's still a conclusion yeah and here also that guy under phil he's not gonna let tony like get away like obviously they want to well, no. consolidate the new jersey people into their crew and that's not going to happen with tony around yeah, and and again, that character has before in the show repeatedly suggested killing Tony. Yes, he's been the first one to suggest it over in even, the New York side of things. He even says like the the other guys can probably be convinced to join. Like, yeah, they would bend without him around. Like yeah. they they had to make sure to get rid of Bobby and Silvio, but everybody else, yeah, like Patsy Parisi, he'll he'll be fine. He'll join them, yeah. no problem. So here's another fucked up theory about the end of the show. This is the one that I think infuriated me the most when I read it, because I just kind of sat back and was like, no fucking way people actually believe this shit without basically sleepwalking their entire way through the last season. 
uh, but that Polly ordered the hit on Tony. What? Yeah, no. right? Why? Would this is a thing I have. That? Because they're very stupid, Larry. I mean, like, what, this is what a is thing the that I... supposed evidence? Like, what do they point to as being like something this is about why. the the cat setting up p- betrayal and manipulation <sighs> and the fact that like Polly was already on the outs with Tony for pretty much an entire season that he wanted to go over to New York. And all this is like glossing over how that character arc resolved itself. Yeah. How Polly realized the only one who cared about him in New York was Johnny Sack. And Johnny Sack did not care about him as much as he let on. Yeah. Like at that point, Polly's loyalties went entirely back to New Jersey when he realized that New York's a dead end. No one gives a fuck about you over there. He had an entire episode explaining how Polly's best friend is Tony. Yeah. They say like he thinks the world of you, you're basically all he has. Yeah. And even though he realizes Tony was maybe going to kill him, Polly is not the sort of character who would then cross that threshold in the other direction. No. It's just not how he's portray there there's nothing else really setting up that betrayal at all in the final episodes of the of the series so like i don't know how people have got it in their head that like paulie orders the hit on tony especially again because the guy who's now in control of the new york crime family has repeatedly said that he wants to kill tony yeah so it is very clear who ordered the hit i just people overthink this shit way too much yeah all these fucking shows. I mean, like, so as experimental as the show got and stuff, especially with things early this season, like, it's still just a mob show. Like, it's not going to get that deep into the weeds with, like, yeah, implication and everything. Like, David Chase came from the Rockford Files, you know? He's not, he's yeah. not David Lynch. No. Most of the time he has given the excuse of, well, there's no easy answers. It's been stuff that there's also been content cut out of the show like there was an answer and then he was like it works better without one but like you can tell that he's still clearly thinking about what is actually going on and for the most part they go to lengths to explain things like you'll have a weird dream sequence but then he'll go to melfi and they'll explain what that actually meant so it's not just like leaving it out there to hang it'll just even if he didn't he'll go in there like it's a good storytelling device to have a reason for him to go in there and a character say well this is why you saw that dead guy yeah like hey you've confronted this on a subconscious level now you need to confront it consciously Mm -hmm. Uh, and even then if he didn't have that more conscious confrontation about things like that a lot of the more surreal moments of the sopranos are still very easy to understand like all of tony's coma dream is very easy to you should not have to have someone explain it no it it works very fine to still have the device to do it and then he decides not to go in hey maybe steve maybe tony b is still alive because he showed up in the coma dream (laughs) does anybody actually think that maybe the last scene of the show was just tony b still out there on that pile of wood and he just rises up like dracula (laughs) but you're gonna say he comes in the diner and everybody hugs him (laughs) he pulls the bullet out of his head looks right at the camera and says i'm tony soprano now and then the credits (laughs) begin i would be into it 
That would be great. That's a fucking ambiguous ending. That'd have a lot of people rightfully going, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, weird. Turns, <laughs> turns out his cousin was a zombie. Whole time. <laughs> no, I just said he's like a Dracula. Tony no, B was a... a vampire. A Nosferatu. Oh, um, okay. By the way, before we wrap this episode up, I just want to say I like how I talked about Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. At length on this podcast, yeah. and then like a couple weeks later, Red Letter Media does a video about it, uh-huh. and then I get into this hideous bet where I'm burdened with the agony of watching all of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and then the last Red Letter Media video plays with the idea of making Jay watch every episode of Star Trek: The Last Generation. <laughs> the Last Generation. It fucking should be, buddy. <laughs> no, they Let never did DS Nine. They needed one more show to figure <laughs> out how to make a good Star Trek. That's true. Anyway, I'll be in touch with. Again. I'll be in touch with my lawyers. Okay. Uh, anyway, I I just like that somehow my life ends up in turning into a red letter media video, like two weeks yeah, away he, from me doing a dumb thing. He even said Brim Strokers, even though it was as a joke, and you actually thought that. He, yeah. <laughs> Which is great because they're just like, oh, it's the dumb joke that everyone does and I'm just sitting here feeling like personally insulted <laughs> because I legitimately thought that was actually his last name. Oh, they would hate me. Anyway, That's uh, we're not yeah, we're not going to do a retro corner. We've no. been talking for much too long. Um, but hey, look. It was the Gabagool zone. It was a, the Gabagool Ghoul summer. That's the Gabagool finale. Yeah. Right as America is on fucking fire because it's getting too hot, we've decided that the summer is over now. And we will not be talking about any more of these spaghetti shows for no, a while. We will not be having a summer for the foreseeable no. future. No, because we're going to stay inside. It's fucking terrible outside. Yeah. And walk out there and just burst into flames like the end of like trauma out there. Yeah. Now you're talking. Touch a switch yeah. on my back and make me explode. It's a different. Hey, now. 